everybody, and welcome to another episode of Movie Mumble, your monthly movie exploration and discussion podcast where four friends watch a film and then talk about it together. <laughs> I'm your host, Scott Murray. And Why is that funny? I, I, just, I don't know. I, it is what it is, but I don't know if I've ever described it that way so succinctly before. Uh, He's like, oh, I didn't mess it up. Ha. I'm here with, <laughs> right, exactly. I'm here with my uh, definitely real and not simulated friends, Joel Lewis. Hello. Tim Gerard. Hello. And Zeke Perez. Howdy. Yeah, they're they are definitely not figments of my imagination, <laughs> I promise. Or of a computer. <laughs> How could you know? <laughs> and that's the point. And, that's, and there we are. All right. Podcast <laughs> over. Familiar, movie mumble. It's a monthly mob podcast where the four of us take turns picking a movie, watching it, and then talking about it. That's, that's about it. Uh, there are no rules about what kind of movie we can pick. We don't withhold spoilers, so if you're worried, please watch the film beforehand. And the whole point is to look at old films with new eyes and new perspectives, share new films, show people things they would never watch unless they were forced to, uh, any, any number of things. You know, we, we get more out of the experience when we share it with our friends, so that is why we're here. This month, Tim was our movie selector. The long-expected pick. The long, we finally <laughs> wrap right. up Tim's favorite trilogy. Uh, maybe. I don't remember yeah. if you... Yeah, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember if you threw us for a loop and were like, no, 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 some other trilogy is my favorite <laughs> of all three. But we finished up with The Matrix Revolutions, which is the third one. For those of you who forget, like me. Scott has asked for qual- clarification over chat several <laughs> so <many> times. times. <laughs> I just... I, <laughs> We both have an R, an R E, I, nah. R E and an S at the end. <laughs> yeah, the the two R E's on the Matrix. If you want to get email lingo in there and be full of computer references. <laughs> oh. uh, so normally I would ask Tim to introduce how the film got into his life and why he brought it to the podcast. But we fucking but know. We've discussed <laughs> into your life a few times and we know it's in the podcast because you're wrapping up your favorite trilogy. So instead, Tim, if you wouldn't mind just sort of providing us a preface for this third one a little bit, I, I know I'm kind of okay. just laying it all on you, but yeah. you know, be as introductory as you'd like. Yeah. Well, and the one little thing I'll say about it, not necessarily how it came into my life, but sort of why I wanted to do the whole trilogy is I did sort of get the sense that um, a lot of people loved the first one, watched the second one, didn't like it, so they didn't bother with the third one. So to kind of, again, as you mentioned, you know, forcing people to watch a certain movie, you know, to force those of you who hadn't finished the trilogy to finish it, so at least we could kind of, you know, put it to bed and see what you think, for better or worse, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so as far as introducing the film, so this is sort of, you know, again, it's the, the, the conclusion of the trilogy, which I don't know what that means now that there's a fourth part coming out, you know, so if it's just going to turn into the Matrix saga or how that's going to work. But anyway, um, there's a definite like ending point to this one. Um, so it sort of starts kind of, you know, almost immediately where Reloaded left off, where, you know, nobody knows kind of where Neo's consciousness is. It's like he's jacked in, but, you know, he, or it's like he's in the Matrix, but he's not jacked in. Um, Turns out he's in some limbo train station, which was another one of their little ambigrant, I mean, um, uh, acronym word plays where it's uh, the train station is Mobile Ave, and Mobile is an anagram for limbo. Um, So he's kind of stuck in this place, and he meets these people who are waiting for the train man, and you know, he's trying to get out of limbo. Um, and, you know, there's a whole thing in, in the beginning, actually, and I'll, I'll admit this, 
the beginning feels kind of like rushed and crammed where I feel like, oh God, like how do we fix this? And there's a bunch of stuff that kind of happens one after another. There are a few fights that are just kind of like, okay, you've seen this before. They're going into this club and there's a, there's a fight. We, we know how that happens, but they find a way to put a little twist on it, you know, and they go, that was another cute little thing. They're going to this club and they go into an elevator and there's the help button, but the P is scratched off. So it says hell. So they go down the elevator and you know, there's all this stuff. Um, you know, and they're basically trying to talk down to the elevator. Yeah, the elevator. Uh, you know, they, they have to get Neo back. They have to figure out where he is, how they can get him back. Um, so they meet up with the Merovingian again. And again, it's one of those scenes where, you know, it seems like it's going to turn into one of these long, you know, monologues of the Merovingian, but Trinity's basically not having it. She's like, nope, you know, this is done. We're just... You, you give me Neo back. He you know. tries to give her a fetch quest, and she's yeah. like, "We're not doing that this right. week. Yeah. I'm done." <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I love that. The, you know, it's like setting up this whole thing, the eyes of the Oracle, and it's like, "Oh man, this is the whole." Oh no, fuck no. it, I'm not doing that. No. <laughs> you got your so, own eyes. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, and there are other, other uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of cool kind of like semi throwaway lines that kind of come up in that whole scene too that we can talk about later. You know, we introduce a few new characters. You know, we've got the train man. Uh, we bring Seraph back in, but we see that a lot of the characters recognize him and they know him from before. They call him wingless at one point. So you're like, oh, what is that referring to? You know, so they they kind of pepper in a lot of little things that are kind of meant, I think, to expand the mythology, but we don't spend enough time to really get into any of it. Um, so, which is either fun or annoying, depending on how you look at it. Um, so they get Neo out and it's like, cool, okay, we can kind of continue on our quest. Um, and then of course, Neo says he needs the one thing they don't have, which is time, um, which pisses everybody off. And cause he's just basically got to figure out, you know, again, like through the whole first movie and kind of what we see happen at the end of the second movie is that, you know, everyone's telling him, you're the one, you're the one who's supposed to end the war, this, this, and that. And he doesn't really know what he's supposed to do. Like, how's he supposed to do that? And at the end of the second one, you you get this revelation that, like, no, you're not meant to end anything. You're meant to, like, repeat this cycle. So once he kind of breaks the cycle, then again, it's like, well, what, what the fuck do I do now? What's my whole purpose? Like, I can fly and, you know, beat people up in the Matrix. That's cool. But how do I save the world? How does this work? So, um uh, and, and one of my, my kind of favorite things about this one, and what I, the, one of the reasons I really like this one is like it taps into that sort of that unknown, you know. Um, and then there is one of the things that uh, I remember the Wachowskis had talked about that first one is about birth, the second one is about life, and the third one is about death. And this part, not necessarily the death part, but it's definitely that, that later in life part of your life where I feel like, you know, for me, Reloaded is like college. It's this kind of bright, shiny version of what you think the world is going to be. And everything's cool and sexy. And it's like, yeah, this is great. And then you graduate college. It's like, wait, what, what the fuck do I do now? And that's basically where the beginning of revolutions is, where you're just, you just, it's like, okay, I got this thing, you know, like what, what do I do now? Like show, tell me what to do. And so everyone's like, I don't know. Like, you know, uh, it's also something that's kind of, yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, it's something that's also kind of echoed in my other favorite film, which is Fight Club, where it's like, you know, everyone just kind of expects you to follow this program, you know, and it's like, what do you do once you've broken out of the program or, or you don't have that sort of next step just kind of handed to you or whatever. So, so anyway, so it's a, it's, it's a really cool thing. And I feel like, you know, the first time I watched it, it made the movie very awkward because of that. You know, you've been following Neil all along being like, he's such a badass, he's this hero. And then he's just kind of like, I don't know what the fuck to do, you know, and he almost kind of takes a back seat in the movie and you kind of see like Morpheus has to step up and Niobe has to kind of step up and 
she takes more of an active role and more of a, a leading role in the film. Um, and he's just kind of like, like kind of, you know, emo and sitting there like, I, you know, okay, I'm having these visions. I don't know what the fuck that means. Like that's never happened before. So, so you get Neo kind of almost has to like rebuild his, his sense of belief in himself, which was the whole journey of the first one. And then the second one is this kind of, again, like this self-actualization has already happened and then it sort of collapses. So now he's back to like, an almost even worse sense because at least in the first one morpheus has been telling him you're the one you're the one and he's like i don't know what that means now it's like morpheus is just kind of like i don't know what the fuck is going on either so i put my whole life in the fact that this guy's the one and i'm gonna find him and he's gonna save you know end the war so now morpheus is also just kind of like oh, i don't know so um so yeah so it starts off with this really very you know again like at the end of the second one everything kind of collapses and I think because this picks up right where it left off, you know, like, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, Empire Strikes Back, how, how kind of fucked everything is at the end of it. But then you get this span of time in between where stuff happens before the Return of the Jedi starts again. Like this one, you don't. This is like, remember how we were fucked? Yeah, we're, we're right there. This is five minutes later. Like, good luck, you know? Um, so, so anyway, the, you know, the movie eventually picks up and they, you know, Neo kind of realizes that there are these kind of like two, two things that have to happen um, you know, one of them is that, you know, he has to go to the machine city and kind of talk to the machine God. And they're just like, what the fuck, you know? And then, you know, Morpheus and kind of everybody else, they've got to take the other ship, um, you know, Mjolnir, which they call the hammer, you know, probably to, for, you know, lack of, for ease of pronunciation. <laughs> um, and they basically got to, you know, get back to Zion because the whole, you know, the whole time this is happening, they're all the, you know, the Sentinels are still drilling down to Zion. Like, you know, while Neo is having his existential crisis, it's like, hey, there are a bunch of machines coming to kill all the people left. Remember that? We still got to deal with that somehow. So we also get to see a bunch of that happening in the machines storming Zion and Zion fighting. So there is a lot of this that takes place just in the real world where it's just like this gritty battle scene. You know, there's, there's no cool stylized fun fight scenes for most of the film. There are a few of them. You know, there's the one, like I said, when, they, when they're going uh, down to hell, there's a little bit of a fight scene there. Um, you know, but I think, yeah, like most of them are either in the real world, uh, you know, until the very end. Um, but yeah, you get just kind of like this, this, this war, which I'm, I'm interested when it's Scott's turn to talk to see what he thought of this part, because I know he likes those kind of gritty, realistic, which not, I mean, realistic is a relative term because it's machines drilling through a dome in the ceiling. But, but the fact that for so long, so much of it, it's just like, you know, just a, a battle, just a war. It's again, it's not the cool, stylized, like polished war that they're fighting in the matrix instead. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and you, and yeah, you get to you know, this man versus machine, but in a completely different way this time. So it's like, you know, you're, you're kind of in it, in this, in this different type of thing. You know, again, you're, you, you love the matrix because of how cool and stylized and the black leather, and this is not at all that. And, um, you know, which I, I, what, that was one of the things that I was really impressed with that, you know, a lot of those scenes are, the CGI is also so well done and it's, it's not to make it look cool and stylized it's just to make it look as real as possible and, and as threatening as possible you know we've we've had this detachment with the matrix even though we know you could die in the matrix you know the people still have superpowers so they're 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 probably going to be okay except for a few cases but here this is the actual real world you know these are actual like bullets and and robots with these you know sharp claws that are just like tearing into people and it's like you know 
Um, so, you know, so you get this very different use of CGI, where instead of the CGI being used to create this virtual world and have all these tricks where something that's supposed to be real is actually fake, like you get kind of almost the opposite of that, where, you know, we almost need to use more CGI to make the real world look as real and, and you know, things like that. And, you know, we've seen, you know, in the first one, we've seen a few sentinels here and there, you know, and they have this very kind of liquid, almost underwater kind of thing. But now we're getting like, was it like tens or hundreds of thousands, whatever it is, you know, just kind of pouring in. And it's just like, holy shit, you know, and it doesn't really lose any of the quality. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm kind of hopping around. So anyway, story-wise, yeah, so there's this threat of the machines coming to kill all the humans. There's, you know, Neo, like, okay, I have to make this journey. I don't know why. And, and then, oh, in the meantime, too, like, Agent Smith is continuing to replicate himself, as we saw him doing in, in uh, uh, Reloaded. So he's this kind of growing threat uh, as well. And we get to see this really, like, um, I think another one of my favorite moments is when he goes to see the Oracle. And, you know, we've got Seraph and... Um, is it Shanti? Is that the little girl's name? Yeah. No, I remember who she is. I can't remember her name. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, like this, this, you know, the little girl and Seraph and Safi, right? Safi. S-A-T-I. Safi. That's right. Okay. So, so, you know, we, we see, you know, it's kind of like we get the sense these are the last people who haven't been taken over by Smith, you know, and you get this moment of like, you know, the, where, uh, you know, the Oracle, is kind of like this 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 ultimate prize or second to ult or penultimate prize, I guess. You know, but before that, you know, you see these two Smiths come walking in after Sati and, and you know Sarah for hiding and she's kinda like, oh, with you know, oh, cookies need love like everything does. So it's like you can see that he just totally took over the little girl and, you know, goes to take over the Oracle. And I also love the moment where he's like, you know, if you can see the future, you know this was going to happen, which means you're here for a reason. And it's like, you can almost see him working out this thing of like, are you planning something that I should be scared about? And then he's like, nah, fuck it. I'm just going to take over you anyway. And, you know, which kind of, you know, we see later. Yeah, it was supposed to happen. It was part of her plan. And, um, so then we end up with, you know, the humans kind of getting back to Zion, blowing the pulse bomb so that they can kill all the uh, sentinels that are in the, uh, that have made it into the dock into Zion. And at the same time, Neo's trying to go, uh, you know, trying to go do what he thinks he's supposed to do. But in the meantime, we've got Bane who makes it onto his ship, who we know from the end of the last one, after we've kind of, you know, seen that last scene of Bane, we're like, who the hell is that? You know, oh yeah, that's right. That's Bane. That's the guy who's been taken over by Smith. So he, um, you know, he has to fight Bane ends up getting blinded, you know, but learns to kind of see in a new way. So he's, you know, he's able to see, you know, instead of just seeing the matrix, he's kind of seeing almost like a level beyond that, you know, he's got, you know, you're seeing, you know, we're used to seeing the matrix as this green code, but now we're seeing this kind of like gold colored energy, which we've seen a hint of back in uh, Reloaded when he first saw, saw um, uh, uh, what's his name, Seraph for the first time. So you're kind of getting this sense of like, you know, almost this matrix behind the matrix kind of thing. Um, it's also really cool because we're seeing like Neo's powers starting to manifest in this sort of real world, um, you know, which is, I, I feel like a lot of those things what led people to think like, oh, is the real world just another matrix? And there's another real world beyond that, which I feel like is also another kind of hint they give you when, when they're flying their Neo and Trinity are flying their ship straight up to kind of get all the sentinels off them and they break through the clouds and you see that moment of sky. And it's just kind of like, you know, 
you know, whatever layer you want to take the metaphor, not necessarily that there is another world beyond there or maybe an afterlife, but like, you know, here's this world with all this drama and you kind of break through and it's like, here's this beautiful sky. Like there still is something beyond what we're dealing with here. Um, so that's like a really great moment for like a second. And it's, it's also really bittersweet that only Trinity gets to see that, which I feel like is this nice, you know, one of her last moments, you know, that she gets this thing to herself, this sort of, you know, a little bit of peace before the ship crashes. And, and didn't yeah. she mention in the first film wanting to see the sky someday? Oh, probably. Particular to her? Uh, maybe. Uh, I can't remember particularly, but yeah, that would, that would make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be a nice way to tie that to back to around where it's like, you know, yeah, like no, no one gets to see the sky, <laughs> you know. Even like, yeah, and that's the thing, like the humans are living underground, but even if you make it up, you know, to the surface, it's still like the black clouds and everything. So, yeah. But, um, so yeah, so Neo plugs himself in, he fights Agent Smith, um, you know, beats him in this sort of like, you know, this, this sort of surrendering, this sort of like sacrificial way, this sort of understanding where it's like, you know, the way to beat him is not to fight him kind of thing, which, you know, again, that has like a, a lot of nice layers to it, which I really enjoy. You get this moment of the, the Oracle kind of breaking through, which you see kind of, that was her reason of, you know, Smith needing to take her over so that she can be, you know, there at the moment when in the final battle and kind of give Neo that clue that he needs so that, you know, he can do what he needs to do to end the whole thing. Um, uh, oh yeah, and that movement in the moment too, that Scott was one of the things I wanted to talk you, to you about because when I saw Evangelion, that was one of the moments when there's that huge like explosion with all the stars and like there's the, almost like a cross that gets made from where, you know, Smith kind of finally explodes and you have it kind of going between the buildings. And so that was one of the moments when I watched Evangelion, I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I'll have to, I'll have to talk to Scott about this, but I had to wait to actually talk to you about it until you'd seen the movie. So, uh, uh and then sort of because Neo made this deal with the machine god that's like, oh, you know, if, if I beat Smith, you know, you have to call off your machines and, you know, let's have peace between the humans and the machines, which, you know, again, is this very kind of somewhat anticlimactic ending because it's like, you know, you, you're in this, you're like, yeah, fuck the machines. They're the villains. We want to destroy all the machines. And it's like this idea that there's, you know, a third option, you know, instead of the machines killing all the humans or the humans killing all the machines, like this idea of them living in peace together. And it's like, oh, okay. And they just leave, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we get this sort of awkward moment, which I kind of feel like, you know, was the reason we needed a character like kid in this thing where he's just kind of runs in and it's like, Hey everybody, the war's over, you know, and it's like, okay, yeah, we'll take his word for it. But it's like, you know, and, and I guess like they're assuming he had some actual information, but he's more just like, you know, he just believed in Neo so much. He saw the machines leave and he's like, yep, that's what this means, you know, so we could have this kind of, you know, cause like they have no idea Neo made that deal. They have no idea he's been fighting, you know, Agent Smith in the Matrix, you know, so that you, you needed something to kind of trigger that the machines up and leaving wasn't a tactic, you know, it was like, okay, yeah, we're done. We're not going to fight you anymore. And, and him seeing that and, you know, this pure of heart kind of kid who had so much faith in Neo, like, yes, Neo won for us. And he, he, he ended the war and, you know, and, and also that idea, like, yeah, the war is over. You know, it's not like, oh, we killed all the machines. It's like, yeah, like, no, there's, there's no more war. Like they're here and we're here. And, um, and then we get this sort of nice wrap up with uh, the, we see the Oracle and the architect get to have this conversation 
Um, which, oh my God, I can't believe that I just made this realization, but the, the architect in Oracle, A and O, Alpha and Omega, I wonder if that was also intentional on their part. Um, so, you know, they have this sort of conversation, you know, the sort of masculine and feminine creators of the matrix, you know, this yin and yang, um, you know, they kind of, you know, again, with words that we can't really tell by just seeing, kind of wrap up what happened. Like, okay, yes, the war is over, but people can still get out. That was sort of the deal. And, you know, and, um, kind of put a little, a little bow on it, you know, and sort of let us know that, yeah, the matrix hasn't been destroyed, which is, again, one of the things I feel like is, is a very awkward ending because as a, you know, I feel like most people, when you're up against an enemy, you want your enemy annihilated, not, oh, we've learned how to live in harmony and have a compromise. And also the idea that they do bring up that plenty of people want to stay in the matrix. So I feel like destroying the matrix and pulling everybody out is kind of almost going against free will in a sense, you know, forcing people to live in the real world. So it's almost like, you know, it's, it's this ending that's unsettling, but you're almost like, well, yeah, like, um, you know, many people would choose to stay in the matrix, but you know, again, the ones who want to get out, they're going to be let out instead of constantly chased. So you're like, okay, I guess that's the best case scenario, like in this, in this situation, like, so, so yeah. And I think that's another thing that kind of threw people off. Like the ending wasn't this sort of super triumphant thing. I mean, you know, uh, you know, we get to see, you know, Neo kind of totally sacrifice himself, which is, you know, again, another sort of this, you know, this Jesus moment that he has, you know, at, you know in addition to the first one. Out, like, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and then I also like that we get those cables that make these nice, like, angel wings on him mm -hmm. as that happens. So it's like, you know, there's, again, there's just, like, all this imagery kind of thrown in your face, which is just, you know, great. You know, I, I think, you know, it's like, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's another example of that, you know, that whole hero's journey thing where it's like, sure, you're going to have a lot of these similarities because of those things and, you know, um, you know, just the way the Wachowskis were able to kind of pluck all their favorite parts of like philosophy and religion. Um, and that was sort of another thing I noticed too about this one. You know, the first one is so heavy on philosophy and this, the second one was almost more head, you know, yeah, heavy on, you know, yeah, on, on monologues, you know, and kind of talking through a lot of that stuff. This one seemed to have so much more of a sense of, of spirituality and religion. You know, it really came back to the the religious aspect of things, not so much of, you know, the sort of the mental, you know, like, oh, well, what if the world is this and this, you know, it was kind of more like, okay, you know, getting, uh, you know, the first one was, yeah, it was more about like, well, the first one almost was a combination of the two. It had a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of religion. The second one seemed to be way much more about philosophy. And this one tended to be way much more about religion or spirituality, however you want to look at it. So I think that was another part of it too. The first one had like too much talking and this one almost seemed to have almost not enough talking, like way more of, you, you know, you're kind of almost supposed to like feel what is happening and, and kind of the idea of the faith and the trust that the characters have to have and that Neo has to have, like even in himself, even when he's lost all faith in himself, he has no idea what he's supposed to be doing. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's way more subtle in this one, I feel like. Um, and yeah, and the other one, you know, the second one is almost like the opposite, like too much in your face. Like we're going to talk at you for a while and explain how smart we are. And this one was kind of like, no, you, you, you got to believe. And it's just like, what, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's this one. That's how this one wraps up. We, you know, we get kind of the, again, the end of the war. Um, we still don't really know kind of where it goes from there. Again, it was the online video game where it kind of picked up from events in here. Um, 
you know, and now we know we're getting a fourth. So where does that fall into place? You know, we know some of the actors who are in it, but you know, is Keanu Reeves actually playing the same Neo? Is he another, you know, is he the next, the one, you know, is that kind of what it is? So, um, yeah, that, that might be fun to speculate on some of that as part of this, but, but yeah, that's, that's my take on the matrix reloaded or at least part of it. Revolutions, revolutions. I don't blame Scott for not knowing which is which half the time. <laughs> I don't you. know either. You know? <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, and thank you listeners for coming to our Tim rant. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I'd like to hear Zeke's first impression first. Sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Tim, you mentioned earlier that this is one that a lot of folks, you know, maybe didn't see, kind of watched one and two and then dropped off. And I think I mentioned last time that was the case for me. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily because I didn't like to. I, you know, I just, I can't, honestly can't put a reason on why. I think it was just one where um, saw one in theaters with a group of friends that were into it, saw two with the same group of friends. And then, I don't know, life happened or something and then mm-hmm. just didn't get around to seeing three in theaters and then from there just never ended up seeing it. Um, so I really appreciated getting the chance to see it and to get to kind of close, um, you know, close it all up and, and uh, or until the fourth one comes out anyway, but <laughs> to have the chance to wrap things up and see how it wound up. And um, I mean, there were things I liked, things I didn't like and, uh, you know, some favorite scenes, some some not so favorite stretches, but um overall i mean i was happy to have seen it and wrap it up i I don't know that i have quite as many notes as uh as the other guys here i know there's (laughs) some pretty contentious talk coming so i don't know if i'll have too much to offer but um but i did i did enjoy getting to watch it and wrap things up good that's something thank you (laughs) and thank you for referring to it as an opportunity and not like you know you know to force me to watch this it was like thank you for my truth (laughs) i'm grateful for this opportunity Uh, to be forced to watch a movie i never wanted to see (laughs) no but i'm also glad we watched it i i'd also never seen the third and like i said was probably i guess the least experienced matrix person here but i I've always wanted to sit down and watch through them all. So I'm also glad for the opportunity and importantly, the opportunity to discuss it with you guys, <laughs> which really is gonna, it's gonna be helpful, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, and that's the thing too, is like, I, I know I talked about this as being my favorite trilogy and I do wanna like, you know, kind of release you guys from, it's not, I'm not uh, defensive about it because part of like me growing to love it is, is seeing a lot of its flaws. So it's not like I'm like, it's a perfect movie and you better not say anything wrong about it. You know, it's like, yeah, like there's, there's a lot of stuff where I'm just like, what? Like, you know, um, and yeah, and there's actually a few scenes that I want to talk about too, kind of like that I have question marks about. Um, if anything, if you, you seem defensive first. about the fact that you're not defensive. Right, yeah. <laughs> Don't, you better not say that I'm defensive. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, is that, is that the end of your first impression segment? No, my, so okay. my first impression actually is kind of, I guess the word I have is meh. That's a little too, it should be a little more. Even thinking about this as the second half of a whole film, if you want to mm-hmm. put the two together, it still feels weird. I think you're right, Tim, about some front sections feel rushed, but mm-hmm. the thing that kind of bugs me overall, and most of my, my complaints are just sort of this in detail, is that they've set up in the first and second films that, you know, they did not, the machines didn't extinctify humanity. They left us alive and in the matrix, right? For whatever reason they did, who cares why? 
And the matrix isn't quite perfect. We learned from the architect. Can't be a paradise, not a hell, it's a real world. But there's all this crap that sort of ends up remaindered into the one. And the one can only, has to realize their powers in the real world, so there are the humans in Zion. And then the whole program grows and eventually reboots. That's the process, right? Humans in Zion, they find the one, the one gains their powers, the one restarts the matrix, do the whole cycle again. That's maintaining the status quo. Okay, great. We get some more depth here about that, about the architect being an agent of balance and the oracle being an agent of imbalance, which was super great. And they seem to be setting up Neo's specific journey of, you know, when the machines tell him, we're gonna eradicate all of Zion, like period, it's gonna happen. So if you don't do what we say, humans go extinct, basically. But if you do do what we say, you get to restart Zion and the whole process begins again and humans keep living. And Neo, at the end of the second film, seems like he wants a way out of that. And so I felt like that was gonna be the central conflict of the whole thing, of out of the trapped cycle of the matrix and the constant back and forth between machines and humans. And every, all of that, was just chucked to the wayside to go, oh yeah, by the way, Smith is some thing that we're not gonna explain that's new and unknown and threatens the entire universe. And Neo like, now to be fair, Neo's seizing the opportunity to be like, hey, if I kill him, will you make peace with us? That was super clever. Like Neo as a character, like, oh, that was great. But just that kind of came out of nowhere and then threw the whole plot away. And I'm much more, I guess excited is the word I need for the fourth film now, because ideally they'll go back to that central tenet and we'll get some more explanation and resolution. But it's weird to hear you all say this film wrapped anything up because it feels like it wrapped up nothing, threw us a whole new problem and then solved that and then called it a day. Um, and to be fair, in, in Wachowski style, it wrapped up our characters, if not the actual plot they're involved in. Um, but that was sort of my, my central letdown, I guess, of the whole film. And, and then, like you said, Tim, there's some pacing issues that I'm having trouble reconciling either as a film on its own or as a second half of a whole film, you know? Which I think comes from, I've said this before, that the first Matrix was really cool. If anything, it was a little light on action. Like, I almost wish there'd been a little more. <laughs> flavor-wise, but that's fine. It's the first film. You got to introduce stuff, whatever. So then for Reloaded, the second film, they were like, we heard you, more action. And the film just has so much of it, like too much of it. Mm -hmm. I felt like this one also almost did. Not quite. I don't, like it wasn't the same bombastic Matrix action. It was the war, to be fair. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of that. Yeah. But that was so long at the expense of those introductory segments. You know, that I almost feel like this one ended up a little more action heavy too. But um, I, anyway, I liked the war stuff. I liked the exploration of the real world and Zion and their combat capabilities and the real sort of, it, it wasn't until this film that I felt the phrase Cold War was sort of appropriate for the earlier state of being. That there were these agents hunting down the, the human agents basically who sneak into the matrix and do espionage and that was the whole thing, you know. And, and then this was the whole Cold War heating up. That was, that was brilliant. The cast just kind of kept growing and growing and growing. But I didn't mind. I, you know, they didn't like, expect us to suddenly bond with anybody out of nowhere. They gave everyone an appropriate amount of screen time and appropriate dialogue and everything. Like The girl who's working with 
the black lady on the two person rocket team. Z. Z, thank you. Like, yeah, I don't know and the then she dies. Though, yeah. Like, that happened and it was a bummer moment, but they didn't like have some dramatic, oh, she falls over. Like, this person we met 10 minutes ago. They just, oh, yeah, she's this fellow soldier. Obviously, they know each other from being in Zion. They're going to be a team. Great. They escape. Oh, damn, the machine's got her. Oh, shit. And their friend is like, oh, Z. And then keeps going because there's a war to fight. Like, that was brilliant and it was well handled. Um, my only war complaint, I guess, is that it felt a little too. A little too we were soldiersy. If <laughs> you've seen that, where the actual fighting is sort of everything just gets put on hold, so our character of focus can be heroic and do their lines and say things, and meanwhile the war happens five feet away from them, sort of thing, which isn't a problem exclusive to this film at all. It's it's all over the place, and it's lots of war films have it. Band of Brothers does it at least twice, which annoys me, you know, like it's just, it's, it's tough, you know, you can't always show everything on screen. Um, but that was really great. It, it almost didn't, was a huge payoff. It almost, it was, it was a huge payoff for all the time we spent in Zion in Reloaded, mm-hmm. which almost dragged a little of, okay, here's more people and now here's the government and here's the, the orgy and here's the machines that run them. Like that went, they went long enough that it went from being oh, cool, here's a look at how the real world is like to, oh, man, are we just here for the rest of the film? Oh, okay, we're leaving. I'm like, but all of that paid off here because they didn't need to do any of that cumbersome like explanation. If the, if, it's like if the Council of Elrond, the Fellowship, had spent half the movie in Rivendell. Like, <laughs> go, yeah. go do the thing. Sorry. But <laughs> the difference here is, yeah, it paid off in the third film, for sure. I, you know, they didn't have to set any of that up. They could just move speedily through it. And even with that expedition, expediting of the process, it still, like you said, felt a little imbalanced. The front felt a little rough. But yeah, just I feel like we sort of lost why we were around for the first two films. And it makes me really glad there's a fourth coming, is, is the, <laughs> the end result, I guess. Yeah. I don't want to pin all my hopes. I, I kept... This is a rough, another connected conversation, but every time I found a problem with Force Awakens for a while, I wasn't sure whether that was just me not liking something or a forgivable fault of a film that has to be first in a trilogy or something that was going to get built upon in a later film. So when a lot of things got completely ignored in the other two films, for whatever reason, like it really left The Force Awakens sort of sitting there and being like, it hurt that film retroactively. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't want to get fall into that trap again with this. I don't want to be sitting here going, "Oh yeah, the fourth is going to solve all my issues," like, but I'm kind of hoping it will. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm kind of eager. So, so yeah, there there it is. I guess that's my long take. Which brings us to Joel. Hi. <laughs> who's who's worried? Okay. I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out like how to contextualize and accurately like describe how this film makes me feel. And the closest I can come to it is this is the conclusion to the story I didn't care about. Okay. At the end of the matrix, the first one, the great world building that you get to do as a hypothetical after the end of that film is amazing. You get a really cool world that seems like 1984 levels of hopeless. And then you get a superhero. They have a fighting chance. 
And at that point, we don't know anything about any, any more people in Zion. We don't know about the other ships. And then it, it takes a dramatic shift. And th this could be just a taste thing. I, I think what, what really this is a symptom of, my not liking this film in particular is a symptom of, is not being interested in that story. We talked last, um, Scott had talked in the last episode about Reloaded, about the six months where they were pulling more people out of the Matrix than they've ever done before. And that being a show that in that discussion, Scott wasn't necessarily interested in those stories because this isn't a world that kind of engenders that kind of curiosity. It does for me. Okay. And I watched the Animatrix in its entirety today. Okay. As an attempt to try and have something positive to say. <laughs> and I am so on the Animatrix train. That is the shit I wanted. Those okay. stories lit so many fires. And I feel like that's, I'm more interested in the Matrix as a plot device, as a setting. And all of the, because th the way I was considering is like this, these two movies, Revolutions and Reloaded, are like the final season of a show right and the matrix is like the first like this is like season nine and ten and the very first one was the first one i want seasons two through seven mm -hmm. that's the stuff that i i that's where my brain goes so and there, there's this thing about reloaded is a really bloated film bloated in exposition in philosophy in fight it's just everything there's there's too much sauce on it and <laughs> i enjoy it for its excess because the kung fu is better this like they just go a little bit more wild with everything and i think the idea that the revolutions is the second half of a larger film i feel like it's 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 so bloated at that point there's enough material for three films there and i don't think in the two it's done particularly well i don't think either of those films is really well paced i think the payoff with bane in in revolutions is so he doesn't do anything he holds a knife to Tr trinity's neck but that's about all he does in the third film and it's this huge thing it's like he's in the real world what does that mean smith is in the real world and we get him for like five seconds of screen time because we have to rush over to do the war thing. And I, I, I don't know if it's just me, but the, the interesting things about the Cold War was when it stayed cold for me. The espionage, the, the infiltration. When, when we start getting into generic mech number three CGI with guys going like this, I'm, I, it's just not lighting the fire. The CGI is really incredible. And it, Tim, you're right about it being really dingy and looks practical. But this guy... It holds I, up really well, actually. I, I'm, considering I'm, these are early aughts movies. They no, up for sure. Really well. And the Sentinels never look better. Like, they're, 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 there's, there's merit to the CGI and the technicality of what they built, but I just don't have any interest in it. That's, I think that it, it became... And this might be... Like, we're going to talk about John Wick, and I have similar opinions about this, the third installment to John Wick in a way of the world has gone too bloated, and it's gotten away what, from what I really enjoyed about the earlier films. Um, so, 
I said a lot of things. Um, and the, I, I cannot forgive the ending of this film. I think it is very bad writing. And I, something watching the Animatrix, and I, I, I know I, Tim and I are probably the only people who've seen the Animatrix stuff, right? Right. So the sequence, the two... I've seen maybe two of the shorts, okay. but not the rest. The two vignettes that are the second Renaissance mm-hmm. really contextualize the idea that the machines are not the Terminator. The way that that conflict developed, and I don't know how canon the Animatrix is. Is it considered full canon? Oh, yeah. Like, I think, okay. well, because I think the, uh, the Second Renaissance Part 1 and 2, I think, was written by the Wachowskis. Okay. As well so, as Kid's Story and Final Fight of the Osiris. Okay. Those are the ones that directly tie in. The other gotcha. four, I think, were, you know, kind of more side they stories. They can be, like, Legends continuity type stuff. Okay. Yeah. But, like, those do that does such a good job of contextualizing what you talked about, Tim, about the third way of forward. The idea that there's a, a, a peaceful way for the, the matrix to exist and humanity in Zion to exist and the machines to exist. But that's not in this film. It's nowhere in these three films do we get the machine side of this. And so much of our, our our time with the Matrix and machines is this faceless, soulless entity. And we kind of, we get little programs and we get a little bit of hurry up offense in the train station with uh, Sati and her parents and this idea of creating like this, this machine element that's not cruel, that's just wanting to exist. But I think it's too little too late to really give you a sense that the end that they can honor the peace. It is such an arbitrary stop to hostilities. I, I have no way of justifying it in my head. Neo's dead. He was the real worry, the real problem that the machines were dealing with. He's dead. Kill the rest of Zion. You were literally at the doorstep. There's nothing preventing you from doing that. It's in the machine's best interest at that point. It's just, you spend so much time, this is the big bad, this is the big bag, this is the big bag. It doesn't do enough pun to humanize the machine element to have that payoff, for it to be believable to me. After five hours of two movies that should have been three and just really poorly paced. Um, <sighs> it did leave me questioning the purpose of The Matrix again. Because at the end, you know, like you said, I, if the Matrix dies and the humans all die. The machines die. Like. Because <sighs> they're using humans as batteries. As a replacement for the solar energy that they killed the sky with. Right. So but like, the Matrix is a way of sustaining life and keeping humans docile in a place where they can be pulled on for energy. Right. And I think, I think there is something to be said about watching Reloaded and then Revolutions right after the other. I think it does a little bit to help you because there's, there, honestly, the, the little bit of time that we took between and we, we had originally before quarantine wanted to watch these back to back. We wanted to record them. So we had that mm-hmm. continuity. But the few months that have been between, I was like, who's that? Why do I care? Who's that? Why do I care? And I don't think it does enough of like reminding you or even making a strong enough of impression in, in Reloaded 
for those to carry over into this next because the kid we don't even have a name for him i i mean there's a vignette in animatrix that made me care about him so much more mm-hmm. having seen this 10 minute thing and it, it just it it's centered so i don't it's try not to judge films for context that's found other places right like i but it it that helped so much. I, I, I feel more satisfied having seen the Animatrix because it informs those characters and I, I wish I had watched it first. Um, that, I think that would have helped me a little bit. You kind of get the continuity with the, the last, the Osiris, um, uh, last flight of the Osiris and you kind of get more of a, a, I don't know, some empathy for people in Zion more. You kind of see who they, it's not just a sea of orgy faces. Right. I, know I think you also get some more empathy for the machines when you see second yeah, renaissance. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That that really and that that makes it more plausible for that ending to be okay. And uh, there is there's a little bit of a throwaway line about I guess the architect says it. It's like what are we human? Like they're going to honor their agreement. Right. And that's, that's a great line. And it does a little bit to kind of make me believe that, that suspension of disbelief can kick in. But they didn't really hammer home that because our, our most intimately that we know any of the machines is Smith. Right. And Smith is malfunctioning and he has a God complex and he's disgusted. He's very human in that way, but we don't have any empathy for him really. I, I think... I had suggested this in our last discussion that it would have been really cool to have reloaded focus on Smith as a machine going to be decommissioned. Like your program is no longer viable. And then the the glitch makes him perpetuate. And then we get more of a machine. We could see some empathy. We could see that worldview from, from a machine's POV. And I think it would have done a lot more to pay off the way that they did. Because it's a beautiful sentiment, the idea that instead of war and annihilating both the mutual, mutually assured destruction of both these civilizations, to forge a way ahead that's peaceful. If we had just gotten like that, that theme comes so late and so little that I re- that it's disappointing. So they have to say the giant bead baby godhead. I had I didn't realize this before I watched it this time. We had I had the same sound issues that we did when we watched Reloaded here. So oh. I turned on the captions. That character's name is Deus Ex Machina, which is the cheesiest, most writer thing right I've ever on, seen right in on my the life. Nose. And it it's, <laughs> it it almost made me like I can't really be mad at this ending because it's literally coming hey, from a Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, like it's. It's almost so cheeky that I forgive it, but not quite. Okay. I have said a lot of things in negative. Let me talk about my favorite part of the movie, and then we can, <laughs> we can move forward. I'm sorry I just berated you all via Zoom. Um, uh, I, I think the glimpse of the sky that we get when they go above the cloud is, is gorgeous. It's so, and it's so brief. And I think that that's to its credit that 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 sequence is so brief and it's Trinity seeing the sky for the first time. And it's so beautiful and blue and blue comes back when when uh, Sati redesigns some part of the matrix, like instead of being green tinged, there's some blue. 
And I think that that thematic, that color use is really, I like that color way of sky. Um, but it, it's so cool to have that little moment and so fleeting because they're in hell. They're being berated. There's sentinels everywhere. It's this tentacly horror. It's very Cthulhu. I wonder if there's any kind of uh, hmm. uh, shared DNA between uh, that. Yeah, that I don't. I don't know enough about Cthulhu to, to to have seen any references, but I, I would. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. That would be uh, cool. Yeah. Very anything tentacly death seems to be <laughs> kind right. of in in that wheelhouse. Um, uh, Lovecraftian, as it were. But I, I really like that that scene again a lot a lot i also i really like ian bliss's performance he's the guy who played bane because oh, yeah. you he mm-hmm. looks his jawline is very very similar to smith's and the dude is doing his best impression of smith and it's great you see him through the flesh puppet and and that that's yeah. one of my favorite things you get that 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 those are those are my favorite moments Zeke, what was your favorite moment? <laughs> um, I mean, so I think overall favorite, and I don't know if it's just too cheesy or what, but I, I really did like the architect and Oracle conversation at the end. And um, I, I think I said last time too, I, I like the Oracle scenes in Reloaded as well. Um, I just think, you know, the delivery there and the acting there is so great. Um, and then the moment where the Oracle says, uh, you know, the architect asks if, she knew everything was going to unfold this way. She said, Oh no, not at all. But I believed. Um, very cheesy, but I liked it. And then almost favorite moment was the, uh, uh, Tim, you talked about earlier, but when agent Smith goes to visit the Oracle, um, and I did like that. I, I liked it, but I think it turned a little bit than what I was expecting at first. Uh, I kind of was hoping for more of an inter- interaction there. Like you said, it kind of just turns quickly and, mm-hmm. you know, Agent Smith is like, oh, you know, who cares if if she saw this coming or whatnot, and just kind of goes forward with what he was going to do anyway. Um, it kind of drops the mom line because he calls mm-hmm. her mom at the very right. end. And it's like, wait, mm-hmm. what, what, what? Like, sorry. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, go ahead, Zeke. Sorry. That, that's all no. I had to say. <laughs> that's all I had to. Yeah. <laughs> I do love in that scene, you know, since we've well, talked about that, like how when Neo goes to see the Oracle in that, that kitchen in the first one, like how warm and inviting and she's making cookies and you, you just want to live in that kitchen and like how fucking cold it is. Like the, the lighting is so different, you know, and you kind of see it from behind her. So you see agent Smith coming in, you're, you know, the other time you're, you're seeing it from Neo's perspective, mostly, you know, the camera's kind of almost over his shoulder or you're kind of in that corner by where the door is, but now you're kind of at this other angle. So like your whole view of the room is skewed and, and Smith walking in is this sort of like creepy, like ominous, like reveal. It um, feels smaller. The kitchen feels yeah. physically smaller. Yeah. You know, and she's, and she's just smoking, not cooking, making cookies too, you know, and it, it's just like, you know, it's like you, it really looks like, you know, oh, a storm is coming, you know, like, oh, look, we're in this nice kitchen and it's all kind of rosy colored. It's like, oh, now everything's turning like blue and gray. It's like, oh, the clouds must be coming, you know, and it's like, it really has that look and you're really like, I don't want to be in this kitchen anymore. And I thought that was like a really cool like layer to that scene too. Did the actress who played the first Oracle pass away? Yeah, that's why that's they had to what get it was. Okay. actress. Because that was that was another cognitive dissonance moment where it's like, okay, they they do address it, but it was also like, because that that 
actress made the Oracle so warm and inviting. And it just like to have that kind of safe space corrupted by somebody else, it just felt so otherworldly. So, yeah. Scott, which about you? Yeah. My favorite moment was really just a moment. It was when Neo enters the matrix for his final showdown and the matrix is just Smith's because the the creeping horror of that the scale of that was pitch perfect like we've seen a lot of them from the first time neo fights in the basketball court in reloaded you know oh there are a lot of smiths now and he can make more oh damn that's you know really scary i guess he's going to have an army and then we don't really see much of him until army's bigger and okay army's bigger but by the time we get to to the bit with the oracle in the kitchen and the girl and everything it's clear he's just consuming Everything. There was no goal of like, oh, I need a hundred. I need two hundred. I'm gonna make two groups. They're gonna go do this. There was no overarching point. He just consumes. And of course, we know how big the Matrix is. We've seen some big sky shots in the second and third films of how huge this place can be. It's, I mean, it's the whole world, right? Simulated world. And so Neo shows up, and he's on the street, and it's just Smiths and and buildings with windows behind which are probably not people, but more Smiths. I, I haven't felt that kind of creeping horror on that such a, such a large scale since, maybe since the, the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I think. The, the point and yell, for those of you who know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it just, it was that effective. That was, that was the best moment. <laughs> That's my favorite, yep. And I did it with just visuals, just honestly, that was sort of, I was the most potent that the Smith presence ever was. And it was due to the way he was treated off screen because they start talking about him. The Oracle starts talking about him and Neo starts talking just a little bit of, oh yeah, he's everywhere. Oh, there's more. Oh, it's all over the place. And, and you can kind of see of, that the matrix feed is like falling apart. Yeah. Like you kind of get those screen visuals exactly. kind of in passing. And so that just... So then when he finally goes back in and it's not, oh, like he's in a room and he's gonna go find the Smiths, it's just Smiths. I, ugh, like it was such a visual punch to the thing you'd been told the whole time. Sort of the, like the it's much truly more- It's one Smith, two fit Smith, red fit Smith. <laughs> Blue Smith. It's the more effective version of like, you know, oh yeah, you know, you need to see the Grand Canyon to believe it. And then you get there and go, oh, it was that in film form, yeah brilliantly done tim you you kind of redeemed that fight for me because i kind of written down that, that that fight coming where it is and having seen so little of smith through this movie that it's like mm -hmm. that's the fight to end all fights right like we saw a really cool knockdown drag out in the previous one like that basketball court fight is is awesome mm -hmm. so and and to go through a film where it's like, okay, we're we're gonna do the Zion War thing for a little bit and now we're gonna go back and do some okay, it's kung fu time. And it's not though. It, it it's it's kind of one of the more it's not beautifully choreographed because it, it it's no longer the Matrix doesn't ex is not bound by rules really anymore. They're just mm -hmm. nerfing each other, I guess. Is that the that's the correct yeah. term? Let's well, see. Yeah, one of my friends basically said it was like when he was a kid and would play with his toys and just like smash them together. Yeah. You know, like that's that's right. what it is. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> and that's <laughs> a, what you had said about it being the 
the culmination of that fight is that you're not going to beat him. This is not something that you win by physically dominating the person with Kung Fu. It's allowing yourself to be smithized, penetrated. I was trying to avoid saying penetrated, but (laughs) assimilated, assimilated essentially. And that's how you win. And that, I mean, thematically that's pushing that third way, right? Can't, it doesn't have to you don't have to lose you don't have to win you can forge this new road forward and i think thematically that works better and it, you helped me understand it because i a lot of me watching is like okay i can't remember i was thinking like i know there's the big fight at the end with all of the all of smiths i'm i'm holding out for that to be spectacular and it's it's not the best of those fights at all they really kind of uh front load reloaded with a lot of the best kung fu fights in the whole thing and but but for it to be kind of making that third way forward thematically works really well so i'm not just here to shit on it i am here Um, to do that to a certain extent right right well one one tidbit relates that to i don't know if you guys ever played the path of neo video game no um and i I I never made it to the yeah, and I, I think I rented it so I didn't make it all the way through. But I remember one point like seeing or reading about how it ends and it's basically an alternate ending where all of the Smiths join to make this giant Smith monstrosity of all of the bodies. And that's who Neo has to fight. Batman Ninja, game. that's amazing, yes. Yeah. So, so that's something that I think would have been, you know, more spectacular to see. But again, I think that was sort of the point is that this, this fight is not about brawn versus brawn. It, you know, it's right. more, it is more personal. It is the, you know, the sacrificial sort of thing, you know, making, you know, making that sacrifice for the greater good kind of thing. Um, you know, and getting, you know, getting everything to, to, to that right, that point in that moment in that situation, you know, and, and to let it play out the way it needed to for it to end, you know, and, and it, you know, it is kind of interesting too, because like what, you know, what, what is supposed to happen is Neo just supposed to beat the tar out of every one of those Smiths. And then is everyone attached to them dead as a result, or does right. he beat them out of them? Like what, what is his goal? You know, he just knows all he knows how to do is fight at this point. And then even know? if he restores a Smith by quote unquote killing it and it reverts back while he's fighting the other 8 billion another 6 billion will reassimilate that person again and right. undo all his work. Yeah. So. And I guess yeah. from, from like a philosophical standpoint, there's a lot about choice, right? Mm. And it, it, in Reloaded, it, it's, it's beating you over the head of like making a choice. And a lot of that has to do with an active choice. Trinity actively decides to go into the matrix despite having made the promise. There's a lot of active decisions throughout the whole trilogy and what we get thematically at the end is a passive choice Mm -hmm. and i think that i mean there's a buddhist principle behind that the idea of like the the flow to go with the flow in a certain way to allow energy to move in a certain way that i'm going to talk myself into defending this film i guess uh <laughs> just just i think defending I think, what they were trying to do but not no and i think i execution. think that theme is there i think i'm i wanted robots versus kung fu which is what they promised me 
and they didn't deliver in this one. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really trying to separate kind of the the fanboy tendency. You <laughs> what I wanted, so it's stupid. Well, but to I, help you with your hate in a less egregious way, I like I said originally, like all of the important plot and motivation they were setting up about machines versus humans and whether there could be peace and et cetera, just kind of gets tossed into the wayside of, oh yeah, by the way, we really need to solve the Smith problem. Like to go back to the Cold War metaphor, if we're staring down the Cuban Missile Crisis and then aliens show up to invade. So JFK and uh, was it Khrushchev, right? Just go, hey, point those missiles upwards instead. And then they do, and then it's over. And that's it, everyone go home. Like the two superpowers still exist and they still have arsenals and we still have to worry. Like the whole central tenet of machines versus humans was just kicked down the road as long as it can, as the Oracle said, right? How long will this piece last? And it was, even though the, the motivational and philosophical side of that was handled really well, the actual turn from A to B was abrupt and poorly handled. <laughs> It's the thing. Like I think, I think, plot-wise, revolutions does the thi- like. So if, if the central, if if the central point of that was the Zion fight, the Zion war, they did all the things that you would want for that story. You place mm-hmm, little, absolutely. you cherry pick these little little interactions. This person's going to end up with that person to do this thing. The kid has to do this. He's going to have to reload the thing. Like it, it, it cherry picked and it, it did all those things right. And it, it just, it was, there's also it ended up being almost pointless, else. right? unfortunately. Right. But then they did right. They sort of undercut their own success. And, and I, I think, think me I, speaking in defense of it is from a philosophical standpoint and a thematic standpoint, it's, it's doing the things that it has told you it was going to do. And I think that that is the way to access it. And it, it's taken me four times of watching it and, Mm-hmm. seeing the sad face of my friend as I obliterated <laughs> to, no, I, to find the compassion to end the, the not shitheadedness of myself to actually like look at it philosophically. Cause that's the thing, like the questions that are raised by the matrix as a setting, as a plot device are largely philosophical. It's, it's a fun thing to think about the, the, uh, hypotheticals of living in that sci-fi world, but from a philosophical standpoint, that that's the whole the marrow of of the story is how do we operate in a world where what you're seeing is not accurate, and it has to come from a a way of self-identification and and philosophy and kind of what what you value as as an autonomous being. So, I, I think one of the things too that you kind of hit on, like where you said you watched it like four times, like I, I feel like it is the one I, it took me the longest to really appreciate, you know, um, and and that's part of why like I come into this with such an open mind about your opinions is because like yeah like it wasn't like the minute I saw it is like this is the best movie ever and anyone who doesn't like this is stupid. It's like huh. Well, you know, kind of, uh, kind of like where Scott was, like, like meh was kind of like my, my, my first reaction. And I had to, I had to like work at appreciating it and look for little things and, and catch things that I didn't catch the first time. And, and, you know, and I'll admit maybe some of it, you know, like, like make excuses for and fill in, fill in gaps with my own imagination that aren't actually there. Um, 
you know, like some of the, some of the lines and, you know, and again, that could be still a criticism of it where they're trying to explain something with a throwaway line. And then you're supposed to take that line and sort of reintegrate that, you know, and extrapolate that yourself and reintegrate it back in the movie to make sense of it. You know, there's a lot of work you have to do if you want to like this film, I guess, is the way to look at it, you know. Um, and, I, and I was willing to do that work because I, I loved it so much. Um, I think another thing, too, is that this, um, not so much in the first one, but definitely with the second and third, I think it starts to get into um, one of the issues that Star Wars films have, where I feel like many people love Star Wars for different reasons. And because mm, yep. it's such a big world, like you can watch the same movies and everybody has different, different narratives that they're a favorite that they're following. Right. And I, I, I kind of, this really hit home, like Joel, when we were talking about the different Star Wars books and you're like, yeah, the whole, you know, the X-Wing series. And I read one of them. I was like, I hate this. I don't care about the people <laughs> flying X-Wings, you know, like, and it was just, and again, it wasn't bad, but it was just like, this is not the part of Star Wars that I'm personally interested in. That was you the know. first one in the Rogue Squadron series, yeah. right? Okay. Mm -hmm. That one's kind of garbage. Uh, okay. The second one's kind of cool because they kind of infiltrate Coruscant and it's more like a, an espionage thing. But okay. if you don't care, you don't care. Just right. I, yeah. I'm and, getting and back it, into them because I'm, I'm working on a Star right. Wars RPG. So I, oh, nice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but again, it's not like, oh, that part of the movie is bad. It's just like, that's not the part that appeals to me. Or, you know, when sort of like, and I mean, don't get me wrong, like, I, I thought Rogue One was great, but but my favorite personal part of the Star Wars, you know, universe is the Force, and and not necessarily the, the Jedi in any one form. You know, I, I really like how the Jedi have devolved and evolved and changed throughout the generations, but, but that idea, that exploration of that, of, um, you know, here's this Force, how do we learn to use it, what are we doing with it, you know, and, you know, and and, you know, that's why, like, you know, when I was younger, my, my best friend, like, his favorite character has always been Han Solo, and mine was always Luke, you know, and I think that was, that perfectly summed it up, like, he was more the, the type of person who, you know, uh, you know, kind of, uh, um, I remember one of, one of his favorite sayings when it comes to, like, playing board games or any kind of games, because he's kind of competitive with that stuff, is that if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Um, so, so, you know, to me, which is kind of a very Han Solo ideal you know and, and and it really made sense of that where yeah you have these kind of two person personal or you know not just two but you know like and han solo is great and everything but like i'm less likely to be interested like and again i saw solo it was great but but it's not the thing that i love most about the star wars universe so again, See, and i remember back to when you were starting to read the books and following luke's story in the extended universe your stuff like mm -hmm. you you weren't enjoying it in in the same way so it, it was it was like wanting that character's arc to be different also kind of so that's kind of how i felt with the, the neo focus is like yeah once we have a fighting chance let's let's show that but good mm -hmm. sorry yeah no so so i think that's part of it too is like there i think the the matrix world yeah it got it got too bloated too big you know there was more um I don't know, I guess part of it was, I, I always felt like with the first one that, you know, the other characters were more supporting characters, which I, which I was fine with because Neo was my favorite character and I was interested in him and, and sort of, you know, him, the, me the metaphors that he represented and sort of, you know, again, applying them to my own life. So when we spend a lot of time with that chase scene and, and Reloaded, 
where it's, you know, Morpheus and Trinity and, you know, all the other agents and the twins and all that stuff. I, I, I mean, I do care less about that scene because it's like, I, I'm here for Neo. I'm here for Neo's journey. Um, and I know that, you know, that's usually a big criticism that people will have is that there was enough character development of the other characters. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. I don't care. You know, to me, you know, and again, you know, this is sort of a, I know a very self-centered way to look at the world and, and maybe that's part of it. And I'll, I'll admit to that, that, you know, that everyone else is just a supporting character to Neo. Like I don't need to have those characters become more like real people. I just need to see how they're going to help Neo achieve, achieve his goals, you know? So, you know, and, and again, like that's a little insight into myself again, not, not so much now, I'm definitely much more in my twenties, you know, where it was just kind of like, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I had to, I had to make myself come to the realization that, that the people around me are also people too. They're not just here to, to help you on your journey, you know, kind of thing. So, and that's when I first saw the, the, the first matrix was, you know, when I was in that, that point of my life and it was like, yeah, it's this one man's journey and other people who are kind of doing things to either stop him from getting there and help him to get there. But that's, that's the point of all of this. And there was definitely much more that came into it. Um, with you know developing all the other characters and meeting new characters, and I think for me that was one of the things where other people may love that if there if Neo's journey wasn't their favorite thing to get new characters to play with and explore with and, and grow the sandbox, like I could see where that would be a great thing. Um, you know, another example of that is the whole the siege on Zion with the machines. That that is kind of my least favorite part of of Revolutions. You know. Um, it's a huge because part of the movie, right? Right. Like, it's a huge part of it. And it's a, it's a thing that needs to happen, right? right? Because we've been building to that. But but I don't care about the time we spend with it, you know? It's like, you know, I feel like it could have been something that was referenced that we just kind of check in and be like, where are we at now? Okay, they got through, they're coming in. Okay, cool. Like, you know, but, the, you know, they, they had to show that. And, and you know, again, there could be people where that was their favorite part because maybe, you know, they look at the matrix as a bigger thing and they don't care the most about Neo's story or the fact that like now that Neo's story kind of is in shambles, you know, it's like, well, let's focus on these other characters. I want to know about the other ships. Who are the other captains, you know? And, and to me, that's kind of nice, but I don't, I don't care as much about that. I mean, I do care about the mythology of the matrix, you know, when they get into in like the video game where, you know, there are those two, guys are like, you know, the vampires Cain and Abel, you know, that, you know, that um, uh, Persephone kills one of them, you know, so, so like, you know, there's all this stuff that gets tied in, like how the mythology that, that we kind of know of in our world, how that developed within the matrix and, you know, the idea of, oh, the werewolves and the angels, that's all programs doing the stuff they're not supposed to, like, like that stuff I ate up. Um, but, but yeah, like when we get into sort of the, the actual humans in Zion fighting and dying. I'm like, meh, <laughs> like, you know, like, I, right. you know, and, and even, you know, even with, with Neo being lost and there being no real drive behind what he's supposed to do and why other than this vision, it's like, yeah, like I, I get that. I get that, that directionlessness. And it's like, well, I'm having a vision. I might as well follow that. Cause I have no fucking idea what to do aside from that. Um, I feel like and, the first uh, time I watched it with Neo, when he gets blinded, mm-hmm. my brain checks out. Because I'm like, I have been suspending my disbelief so hard about this dude who's manipulating things in the real world. Mm-hmm. And now he's blind. Can we, like, let's stop beating it. Can, can we do some, some, some character work here rather than just like, okay, 
he was already <laughs> the weird Jesus baby. Like, can we just, it just seemed like a hat on a hat. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> well, and, and, and again, you know, for me, this is where I, you know, I, I, I get that, you know, but but for me, where I did the work, where it is kind of like you know this idea of you know again coming from my my new age past, when you know the, the idea of like the third eye, which is like a, a Hindu type thing, you know, and you know that we're so used to using our two eyes, sort of our our you know physical eyes, and seeing what that can see, that we're missing out on the things that our third eye is also supposed to be able to see. So to me, that was like a big part of that is like there was you know something else that he wasn't be able to tap into until he kind of lost that and you know yeah it has this kind of daredevil thing oh his other senses are heightened which i feel like they did go in a different direction it wasn't that he was hearing that stuff it was that he was like able to sense that stuff but it was he wasn't going to be able to focus on it and kind of focus on that that third eye until you know his two you know real eyes were, were incapacitated um neo is the wi-fi router in a dial up society like that that's 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 his whole thing yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> well and and actually and and maybe this will make you appreciate it a little more too maybe not i don't know but but one of the things that i that, that i loved about that of him being blind is that when trinity dies like he yeah he, he can't cry yeah. like yeah. like i mean he kind of vocalizes it but like but there's that release that comes from cries like from from crying from the tears coming out of your eyes and he can't he's just like <coughs> you know he's almost like coughing like choking on it and it's just like th- this guy doesn't get to like grieve almost you know like That's he doesn't interesting. get you know and and See, that was one of my favorite like little subtle parts of that you know yeah i guess and he, he didn't you ask know. you what your favorite part was <laughs> sorry <laughs> That, yeah, well, I figured we'd eventually come around right. to that, and then I could kind of have my 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 turn to spew again. Because I because I had kind of marked that down as like I've enjoyed Keanu's acting through this whole movie until Trinity dies, because it, it was just kind of really flat. No, no, no. And now that context, that context of like, oh, dude can't cry. So that 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 makes so much more sense. See. Bit by bit, we're gonna we're we're gonna just take it a second at a time, and at the end, we sing its praises. Right, and and again, that's the thing is, it's like I'm not trying to convince you guys that it's actually a good movie. Like, you know, that's open to interpretation. But I I guess more, yeah, like like what you know what we've kind of said the podcast kind of is is to kind of see movies through someone else's eyes, kind yeah. of, and see if we can appreciate them. Um, another thing, kind of along those lines, that I wanted to mention. Um, and again, I don't know if this fixes the problem, but when we were talking earlier about, about Smith and how he's able to like do all this weird stuff and we, they don't really explain why, um, again, this could be me, me reaching and kind of doing the work for them. But a lot of what that comes into is the, the idea about Neo and Smith being kind of yin and yang. And, um, you know, the Oracle does kind of, you know, mention that where she says, you know, he's, he's Neo's opposite. Now, if that has to do with something that the Oracle programmed on purpose as part, you know, and that's basically one of the things that you kind of realize is that, you know, the Oracle is basically the mastermind of this whole trilogy, you know, and I think that's one of the things that's kind of this weird kind of shocking way to look at it. Cause again, we're following Neo as our hero, but the hero is actually the Oracle, you know, she's the one who decided to fuck everything up, you know, the Oracle and the architect constantly at odds. Right. You know, and that's the thing. Yeah. The architect has planned this, this system in this, this procedure, 
and the oracle's like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna put some things in there that are gonna throw this off, you know. And that's something I really liked, actually. Yeah. If I can be positive for a minute, is that <laughs> I really loved the idea that there were these two diametrically opposed forces constantly at odds with each other, creating and destroying and keeping up, and that that was the very thing that drives the matrix and its existence and the iterations that create and build and grow and then collapse and reset when the one returns. Uh, that's the thing that evolves the matrix. That was just brilliant. And they communicated that really effectively in one conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, in one conversation in this film as the thing that tied together all we'd seen in the previous film. Right. But still, yeah. that, mm -hmm. that was brilliant. Yeah. Um, well, but then, yeah, her mention of Smith as Neo's opposite sort of, if anything, it almost hurt the Smith presence because the Smith presence, which I was dying for answers about, was suddenly like, wait, so is he also a remainder that also shows up every time? Or is he put it on purpose? Like it didn't, it answered things without answering anything, I guess is what yeah. I mean. But. Well, you know, yeah, and that's the thing that I feel like it kind of upsets what I think you, you grow to accept is that like, oh, Neo's going to save the day because of love. Because he loves Trinity, that's what's going to throw everything off and, and make it not cycle back around. And then you're like, well, wait, no, is it because... And yeah, and that's a good question. Was there always a Smith for every other one? Or is this there the first time? Is he time the zero for the one? Has, right, yeah, uh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> or is, he the, is he a negative one? And then the two of them balance out to zero. Um, uh. Well, yeah, I think she even says that one time, he's your negative or something like that. You know, so, yeah. so again, we get the video game reference of the nega Scott from, you know, Scott Pilgrim, where you know, he's going to fight his, his negative version. Uh, he's um, actually a really cool guy. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, so, so yes, yeah, so I think that's part of, again, and it's like, it, it, it kind of forces you, if you want to appreciate this, to try to kind of figure the, work those things out yourself. Like, okay, so, you know, to kind of find all the, the opposites, you know, as, as Neo is kind of finding out that he's actually more machine, you know, more of a, an agent of the machines, we see kind of Smith becoming, you know, an agent of his will you know, in his own choices and him, you know, him making choices, even though he's a machine and supposed to be a program, you know, and, um, you know, it's in, uh, you know, so I think that's part of the sort of the duality part of it. Um, you know, there was also a thing where like, you know, I think Joel, you mentioned like, you know, kind of Smith being kind of godlike, you know, and, and, you know, in sort of taking over everything and becoming this all powerful thing. And that was sort of a, a thing that I thought of as I had seen somewhere written that like, you know, you know, uh, a description of God as being like omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. And I feel like that was what Smith was striving for. You know, him taking over everyone in the Matrix was him become omnipresent. You know, him taking over the Oracle was him becoming omniscient. And by taking over Neo, he wanted to become omnipotent. You know, so there's this this sense of, you know, uh, his his ambition and his ego, which are kind of very human things, kind of as we're finding out that Neo was more of a machine machine's puppet. You know, as this, as the, as opposed to a superhuman, you know, it's almost the fact that he was able to do that stuff, not by his sheer will as a human. It was because the machines programmed him to be able to do those things, you know. Um, so that was kind of one of the things that I really enjoyed. And, and again, the, the, the role that the Oracle had to play in it, which, you know, which again is not, it's not the ending we want. You know, we want Neo to be the hero. He's the, or at least for me, you know, he's the guy I've been following since square one. You know, and now it's like, well, wait, I'm supposed to appreciate everything the Oracle did because she's the one who made this happen. You know, she's the one who, you know, you know, 
you know, again, there's that line about with the, or, the architect saying, if he's the matrix, the, the matrix father, the, you know, the Oracle is the mother. So they're kind of the, you know, the, again, the, you know, the divine masculine and feminine, those two polarities kind of at work, but also that, you know, she, she created Smith. So it's like, did she create him to be, you know, the villain that, that Neo needed to become what he needed to be and to kind of set this whole thing into motion. And, and which, like I said, kind of downplays the whole choice that he makes over love to save Trinity as what actually saves humanity. And in, in fact, it's, you know, this, this polarity and this, um, you know, uh, uh, balance between Smith and Neo, which actually, you know, ends the war, you know, um, you know, Neo making the choice of love was something that got him over that hump and made him choose not to, to, to just recycle it. But again, the war didn't end yet, you know, and it, it was, so it was ultimately this balance between him and Smith that the Oracle had created that was what was going to end the war. So yeah, so, so Neo's not the hero, the Oracle is, you know. Um, so I think that's also, you know, again, like it's, and, and every time I see it, I kind of feel like I see it through different eyes. So it's like, I, I'm kind of following different threads and like, oh, okay, like I, this, this is not how I've perceived this film to be in the past. This is a new way to perceive it. And that was one of the, 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 the times I watched it. It was like, it was disturbing. It was disturbing to be like, yeah, the, the person that I thought was my hero wasn't the hero. It wasn't about him at all. He was a pawn, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it's, um, you know, it's basically these, you know, these, these two people just kind of playing back and forth with, with all of these lives, you know, and, you know, oh, I'm going to tell you this because you're going to do the opposite of what I tell you, but that's because it's what I actually want you to do. And I know you'll do the opposite. So I'm telling you the opposite so that you'll do the thing. And it's just like, that's kind of manipulative and fucked up. Like what the hell? Like, you know, so. Hey Zeke, what, what how did you feel about the use of Smith in, in this film? Especially um, having seen it, because I mean, the most recent one in the, your memory is Reloaded, and you having not seen it before, kind of what mm. what? How did it match with your expectations for how that character was going to work? Right, I think um, I don't know. So for that aspect, and then for the movie as a, as a whole, um, I think my word for it would just be different. Right, I, I think just <laughs> um, you know different than the other ones. Right, I think we've touched that on that a little bit, just in the sense that like. I don't know that you've got like a very actiony one and reloaded and then you've got kind of the laying the groundwork and, and philosophical one in in the first one. Um, so I think this one was, you know, just a little different for me, for me in, in um, you know, as a whole. And then I guess um, with Smith too, I'm trying to think of, of, I don't know, like, I, like you mentioned earlier, like him possessing Bane, and coming into the real world in that way was really cool. I just kind of wish there was a little more, you know, bang for the buck with that. Um, I think I had the same perception that you did of the, the big fight against, you know, all of the multiple Smiths and expected that to be a little different than it was. Um, so I don't know, I think I guess just different compared to what I came in expecting. Because yeah, I Not remember our discussion from the previous one, we all were really, really psyched for mustache twirly Smith. Like that was such a compelling, interesting, fun part of it. And you kind of, I feel like the, the, what I wanted to continue in that was just that in the flesh, literally like pun intended. The ticking like, time bomb. So it, it, mm. it was something that was jarring for me upon first watch. And that's why I was asking specific. And we hadn't heard yeah. from you in a while be, between me and Tim. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then I think when I said earlier that that the scene with with Smith and the Oracle felt like it was maybe going to be a favorite, 
I think that's where I was going to get it. I just thought there was going to be a little bit more. I don't know if more meant like more pushback from the Oracle or, or what, but it's kind of like, you know, he walks in and then he smashes the plate of cookies off of the table into the wall. And that's like a classic kind of like, you know, Smith would kind of do that. And then he's like, wait, but you knew I would do that. That's why you put it here or maybe not. And he's kind of contemplating it. And I kind of wished it went that more philosophical route. And I don't know if that meant that, you know, the Oracle escapes or they have some sort of more of a dialogue, but then he just like, no, I'm going to grabs her and, and, and takes over that body and then gives a, a manacle laugh. And then it ends um, where I think I was hoping for a little bit more there, right? A little bit more of that mustache twirly, uh, as you put it. There's definitely space there for a princess bride uh, poison debate right like that's, that's... <laughs> right right <laughs> uh, but you placed the cookies knowing i would break the cookies because you had placed the cookies <laughs> it's really kind of interesting like i i wish we had sat with that scene a little bit more because we spend so much time with neo's first interaction with the oracle because it's it's built up in this way and in that way like it's very much smith's interaction with her is very much the opposite of neo which is thematically similar it's it's shorter it's violent it's accusatory mm -hmm. he's having the same kind of philosophical debate with her but mm -hmm. doing it more violently yeah so there's that but i i mean i just enjoyed the way both those characters had been written so to see them kind of butt heads more philosophically right. and more like uh, uh soliloquy ish like i, I would have liked that mm -hmm. i yeah. think that you hit something for me, Tim, on the film transitions from being about, mostly about this main conflict and being philosophical in its subtext mm -hmm. to being philosophical mainly. And right. then the main conflict is just swept under the rug as irrelevant. But I think that transition just didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would call it bad, but again, I, just for me anyway, you know, and because the more I think about it, the more I put the pieces together. Um, the speech with the man in the train station, the father at the beginning, mm -hmm. he talks about love as a human word for a mm -hmm. thing that is otherwise real and can be felt is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And Smith gets a wonderful moment at the end, at his rant about, um, I, wrote the, I wrote it down, temporary constructs of a feeble human intellect and it's complete flip-flop again. And that was beautiful. And then to pose the entire thing as a, as a grappling with the nature of existence, which is what Smith's whole problem is. The thing that has driven him mad in the first place from his original speech to Morpheus about the stench. You know, it, that all connects together really well, but like at a certain, but, it, but in, that was always in the background. It was always sort of a, that story is being presented through the, through the gaps in between the lines of the other story. And the other story, to go back to what you said about different people liking different parts of the thing. The other story was something I always really liked and was interested in. So when they dropped the other story and focused on the between the line stuff, and it wasn't elegant or smooth at all. Mm -hmm. it, it hurt, you know, it was uncomfortable. Jarring is the word. Yeah. Um, and, and then <laughs> to, uh, to just to get into the nitty gritty a little bit, that last fight and the conversations was some of the worst writing in all three of these films and also some of the best writing in all three of these films. The, the Neo and Smith fight? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, the worst was the bits about, like, right around when Smith suddenly says the Oracle's line and then they have him, like, spend, like, a minute and a half 
being confused about it. That was a Harrison Ford moment. I'll do it with a look, right? right. Screw, screw the script. Yeah. Put it on his face. <laughs> right. And then when Neo well. asks about why you stop fighting and Neo is like, because I choose to, I could not possibly have been less whelmed by that. <laughs> oh, okay, great, good for Less you. I wrong. like that was so awful. But, but Smith's speech about humans and the stench and the whole—I could feel the flesh connecting back to his Bane speech and connecting back to his stench speech with Morpheus, and then being the opposite of the train station about love and the evil constructs was brilliant. That brought all three films together beautifully for Smith in a bow. And then when, when I wrote the other bit about more lines, when Neo says, "You were right." This was inevitable. That was brilliant. That was, mm. that was perfect. So like, uh, like the whole thing was dragging me in two directions yeah. at once. Kind oh, of, but... the, and, and I agree about the, the because I choose to line like that. I remember having trouble with that too, because it's like, but, but why, why is this what you're choosing? Like that's supposed yeah. to be the, the point of choice is because you, you, know, you have something that drives you to choose one thing over the other. And it almost kind of, I think, gets gets into the idea that like has neo been making choices all along like i feel like he's been doing what everyone tells me should be doing and then you know it's only up until that point that nobody knows what he's supposed to be doing that he has to make choices then he's like well fuck what do i do you know Mm -hmm. and you know again like at the beginning of the film so i think it's I, i almost wonder and again this is this could be me making excuses but i almost wonder if it's supposed to almost be commentary on the idea of um you know, the idea of, of just choice in and of itself, um, you know, I, I don't know how important that is as opposed to like why you're choosing what it is you're choosing, you know, like in other words, it's, mm-hmm. it's not an answer. Like, why do you persist because I choose to, but, but, but that's not the why, what, you know, and, and, you know, kind of like the yeah. Merovingian says without why you have no power. And, yeah. and that's kind of the thing is like, why, why are you fighting? Which, Again, I was, was like, if wondering. he asked, why are you traveling from here to here? And Neo had replied, because I'm sitting in a moving vehicle. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, like, right. Yeah. It's like, great. Yeah. But why did you do that? And it doesn't have like a turn weight, like something like be- because it's in my nature. Because right. I feel like that would have played on the themes that their whole debates through all three movies have kind of been, right? right? Like the idea that a machine does something because it's programmed to. It fails to do complete its function because it's malfunctioning. Right. Human to do a certain thing that defies all convention, as a machine would understand it, to say it's in my nature, it's written into the program of mm-hmm. my humanity, in a certain, would have been a, a way to – I mean – it. it I, I don't know what the read. And I, I feel like there, there's a certain sense that this was rushed. Production of this was rushed and writing this was rushed. I feel like hmm. it, it just, it feels that way watching it. And I don't know I if it's feel like, like it could have been four movies from the start. Yeah. Right. And there's this idea that like, I mean, they filmed two and three back to back and then they pushed them out six months apart. Hmm. So instead of taking a year and I, I, I don't know, like, I, I can't speak to any of the, the complications or the budget or any, I mean, they, yeah. they definitely got a lot more money for this one. Mm-hmm. So, but it, it just would have been, I would have liked to seen if they had let it sit a little bit, if they let it germinate. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and I mean, that idea, it, it's almost like they, they view the idea of choice as a human thing. And, and that's the be all end all, which again, like, I feel like a choice is a means to an end, you know, which again, kind of comes around to like the stuff the Merovingian was talking about, you know, mm. so, so to just, you know, and, but then again, maybe that's their point is like, you know, you don't, you don't have to choose one or the other, as long as you make a choice, it doesn't matter. You know, 
and that's what makes you human. So, but, but again, like it's like it falls flat because it's just like, you know. So if he chose not to fight, or or that's what I wonder too, is it the idea that he's choosing to fight, but the essence was him to choose not to fight, and it wasn't until he realized that that you know in that last thing, like you know, like like oh yeah, I've got to stop fighting and let him win. Like that's the choice I need to make. So almost like I'm almost wondering if that line is supposed to be um, uh, uh, naive, you know, almost, you know, like why you're fighting because I choose to. Well, doing something just because, you know, and, and it, it makes me think of like when, you know, teenagers start Choosing rebelling against their, right. When teenagers start rebelling against their parents, I feel like a lot of times they're not doing what they actually want to do. They're just doing the opposite of what the parents want them gotcha. to do. And they end up doing things that are not themselves it's just in in rebellion to, and I almost feel like that was kind of what that line That's was me like. That, that I don't like that. Right. <laughs> don't say that shit. So, <laughs> so I almost feel like that was that was you know Neo sent a teenage moment. You know, like oh, you know, I'm not gonna do what you tell me to do, Dad. You know, and it's like it wasn't until he kind of grew up and said like, oh, fighting may not be the answer. Like it may be to choose not to fight, and then that's sort of what will finally end this. You know, um, that's and again, like the that's, old school kung fu version of that fight is he's beat down, he's beat down, and then he remembers what Sensei said was mm -hmm. be like water. Right. And, and then that's the, it unlocks it for us. So we don't get to see that. I mean, Keanu's not a, 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 a face actor. You don't right. see the wheels turning behind his facade. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe why it's like, I'll do it with, well, no, that was the other actor who, was, who would have done it with a look. Weaving. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Hugo. But like, there, there's a sense of what, like, He's doing that work and he makes that realization that it's like, okay, passive is the decision. But we, it, it doesn't help you there. I don't know. I right. feel like a lot yeah. of this is like- You're reminding me of the, the after the last Airbender conversation between Aang and Boomy in season two. Um, one of his old wants him to oh, yeah. and then teacher, his city yeah. has fallen and Boomy is captured. And Aang goes through most of this episode trying to rescue him and finally does. And Aang, Boomy's still in his like, iron cage and, and boomy like reveals that he can still earthbend even from within the iron cage because he's just lat damn awesome and they like pull up in some hidden corner and he's like you couldn't bend this whole time then why are you still here like break yourself out and fight the war and etc and boomy says he talks about he calls it jane i think but and then goes oh yeah there's positive for attacking and you know negative for defending and different energies and boomy goes like there are actually a bunch and the one i want to talk to you about is neutral when you choose to wait and to listen, like you're putting me in mind of that conversation, Joel, mm. that like the choice for Neo had to be the choice not to act, but to react, mm -hmm. I guess. And that's, that's the thing, like so much of what motivates the first movie is how dare they keep me in a battery, mm. right? It's yeah. so raw and it's so, we got to fuck them up for this yeah. rage against the machine you know, all the way. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so many layers, so much poor writing, <laughs> but it, 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 and it's, it takes in some ways it's like, Neo's like, what do I do now? What do I do now? What do I do now? And the answer is not action. It's, it's, it's inaction. It's passivity. It's well, this is the status quo as shitty as it is, there's got to be a way to move forward. And it's, it's just really interesting. I don't know. I, I, I think that, I think that's the thing. It's just the first one leaves such a firm impression of like rage against the machine. Mm -hmm. 
it is philosophical and it does talk about, but like it's, it's techno goth porn and there's Kung Fu and it's like, fuck you for making me a battery. And then I think a lot of what they try to do is, is extend from that. And it doesn't help that it's like, here's more Kung Fu and a lot of dialogue. And then here's a war. Like, I feel like the purity of the, the philosophical discussion that they're trying for kind of gets muddied up in there trying to tell. I, that's the thing. I feel like the setting is ripe for the discussion. I think the plot that they set and the certain times that they set it in kind of overcomplicated it for them. I find myself yeah. agreeing with you, Joel, about yeah. we need more Smith. Coming back to what I kind of started with about, I don't know if I actually said this out loud or it was in my notes and I didn't get to it, but that about Smith is so important and unusual and sudden as this threat to everything that they both have to drop what they're doing, the machines and the humans, to stop him. And, and we don't, you know, our discussion notwithstanding, we don't ever really find out anything. Why? Why is he like this? What even is he? Is this going to happen again in another Matrix? Are they going to need to make another one to stop him? Like what? That leaves so much, un, so much un, unanswered, unresolved. And then so much hanging. It leaves so much hanging. And then when they start to draw these lines between him and Neo, but then it doesn't seem like he's ever been around before or not to this scale because obviously the previous cycles kind of went off without a hitch. Like again, it, the, more they, the more connections I draw, the more I'm left just going, so what the hell is he? <laughs> like what? Yeah. It's, well, you know, that's, kind of, that's the big hole I keep getting sucked into, I guess. And that's what I was saying before. And, and again, I think it could be me making excuses, but as far as like the, the, the part with the Oracle, you know, kind of explaining to him, like, he's your opposite, you know, and, and yeah. then we've, we've, we've had agents all along, but, but the, yeah, the, the difference with, you know, you know, him killing Neo and then Neo destroying him at the Ooh. end of the first one, like Maybe. that whole thing. Because the archetype explains that Neo, the one, is the remainder of the leftovers that machine learning can't solve about humans. So that could argue that Smith is the remainder of the sort of the humanity in machines. Right. Suddenly, the inexplicable in machines suddenly made flesh. That's why he struggles so much with the nature of humanity and the physical being in the bodies. That would interesting. That'd be interesting. But I still don't know. And I mean, for all the time that we could sit here for four hours drawing parallels, we can draw conclusions that connect for that conclusion or for a different conclusion or for a different explanation. Right. And something about the way the film was balanced doesn't leave me going, oh, cool, I like all my interpretations, but it leaves me going, just give me one. And I can't really explain why this film does that to me as opposed to films like, well, like Evangelion or, or like Chinatown or like a lot of sci-fi that leave things open-ended and I get the end, I go, oh, cool. I love how this is, I think, this is my interpretation. I can't wait to hear what everybody else has. Whereas others, including this, leave me going, just give it to me. What was it? <laughs> like, I feel like with the I, I won't say that's a failure of the film. It's a missed connection of the film and the me, the person watching. The, the first film does a lot of hand-holding. It, it leads you to the setting. It leads you to the construct. It leads you to the sci-fi post-apocalypse. And then it stops holding your hand. So I think, I think that's kind of another cognitive dissonance thing that I'm running into is that I'm, I'm, I'm used to learning about this through the lens of Neo. And then we pick up with Neo after he's been, he, he's 
he's in flux. He's in this, this state where he, he doesn't know what's next. Nobody's telling him. He's not learning anything new and we're not learning anything new. So we're having to make all of these connections and these jumps. And I don't want to pin too many hopes on the fourth, but like I said, I'm, I'm really eager for the fourth. I have no idea what the fourth is going to be. I, I have no concept. <laughs> That's why I'm excited. I, I feel like for it to make any sense, it has to tie into John Wick. Like they, they scan, <laughs> they scan. I'm Neo's telling you, algorithms. Bill and Ted are going to collect John Wick and Neo as part of their next collection. The he's going to write some notes to Sandra Bullock. <laughs> <laughs> so should we, we should probably get into the John Wick discussion. Oh yeah. I know. Sure. I know no, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that we've all seen three, we've, we've all seen those films. Um, Zeke, why don't, why don't you start us? How do you feel about this in relation to that? Is there any connective tissue? How did you feel about the world building in John Wick 3 versus 2 versus mm. these three films? Yeah. Uh, well, so to take a quick step back yeah. to what, what Scott said, that'll feed me into this. I, I, I do agree with Scott's feelings that I feel like The Matrix, I mean, Revolution, probably all of it, though, to be honest, maybe maybe not the first one, but all of it in general is one of those trilogies or a set of movies that makes me feel really dumb. Like even in this conversation, you guys are connecting all these dots and I just, you know, I I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. It was a little harder for me to follow. And I think that, um, I mean, I think in revolutions, one part of that is the, uh, the war scene right now is like a third of the movie and it kind of just took me out of it. And then you get back into some characters and I'm like, I really don't care anymore. I, like Scott said, I can't really put my finger on why there are some movies where I'm happy to connect the dots and then where there's some where I'm just like, boy, I don't know what's going on at all. Even and unfortunately, I'm sorry, I, Zeke, but I, uh -huh. uh, two Polanski movies, Chinatown and Ghost Rider, which both end basically the same way, more or less, by ending the character's involvement in the plot, but leaving the plot to just keep going. With Chinatown, it was so satisfying and with Ghost Rider, I was ready to like go beat up the projectionist. <laughs> I don't know why. So I'm sorry, but but no, you're good. But yeah. We'll find a and, point on that. Uh huh. And I so yeah, I don't know exactly what it is. It's not like a like or dislike thing. I mean, because the more I hear about it, and I, it might be just a not having seen, um, like Tim, you said you you had to see Revolutions a few times before you appreciated as much as the others, and it might be that for me too. Um, but I don't know. I think with John Wick, one difference there is that I loved it from the get-go all the way through three. Um, I just sparked my imagination. I was sitting there thinking about all the world building, thinking about, you know, what's not shown on screen that I'd like to see more of or um, just all of those things. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, I don't know if, if we're just starting with comparing, you know, revolutions in the third one or, or all of them as a set, but I think, Joel, you said earlier that you felt like John Wick 3 kind of started to get to that too bloated like area, but I, I really like 3 still. I think it was a little bit bigger in scope, right? One starts and leaves some things hidden, 2 expands, and then 3 expands a lot. Um, I don't know. I, I like that, and I liked... Um, I don't know. And then this is... Uh, I don't know if it's not... I don't want it to come off as like a diss, but I like the choreography more in John Wick than in The Matrix. I think there's a lot of great fight scenes in The Matrix, but I do feel like, I don't know if it's that they're dated, um, 
but I feel like I don't know. Maybe it's grittier. I think the John Wick ones right. are grittier, and their street fights and their brawls and their and there's there's the one shot aspect a, to it, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's obviously probably very intentional, right? I think the Matrix ones aren't supposed to just be like two guys boxing because they're more of a why would that be exactly? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I don't know. There's some a few things there that just to just to throw out there, I guess. I'll, I'll jump in real quick. Um, mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think the John Wick, even three, which I, I had some issues with, the choreography is insane. Like move to move, weapon utilization, like it's a really enjoyable ride for that. But my whole thing about it was like, I liked, I liked so much what the first one was. And I, I think this is a taste thing. I, I, think, I think that's mostly characterizes it, is I'm wanting it, them to recreate the, 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 the first experience, which is impossible and me being a shitty viewer for that. But I, I just like the short, the smallness of the scale and, and how accessible that was. And in the second one, you just get a little bit louder, a little bit worse. And it's just a little bit into all these different aspects of the assassin world. And it just kind of, it doubles down on the good things. You get common in there. Like I'll bring up common's performance in the second one. Every time we talk about it, cause it's awesome. He matches him and he's, he's amazing. But for three, it just, it just was like a little too much. And I think it, it when you end the second one with everyone's coming to get you, John, like, where do you go? So I, I think that, 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 they kind of wrote, them, wrote themselves into a corner for me for that. But they're like that last sequence on the roof, and you know it's going to be there because you see that location earlier. It's gorgeous. I liked it better when they did it in Skyfall, but it was gorgeous. And, and the, the weapon room where they're just kind of all the antique stuff and they're using the different, like, I, I like sequences in that, that movie. But with, with Halle Berry and their history and the dogs. I, I don't know. It just kind of got lost. And it was go th- find the thing to find the guy to find the thing. It was a MacGuffin hunt a bit. It, it just, it, it seemed to become a parody of itself in the way that like John Wick was such a departure from the eighties cheese action movie or what the action movie had become. The, the um, uh, taken where he's climbing the fence and you get 87 different takes of different actions to make the old man look like he's moving with vigor you know, like it, it does so much it, it, to cut through all of that. And it just, I saw it becoming 80s cheese in that last one, which is what I was trying to avoid watching when I started watching John Wick. I didn't know that's what I was doing. But when I saw it, it's like, oh, if action movies were like this. So that, that's kind of where I'm at with it. I'm, I don't know what four is going to look like. I'll probably see it with you gentlemen because (laughs) it'll be the same day as matrix or i don't know how COVID's affecting it but just kind of at the end i was like i i I liked two a lot and i just was like okay well where where do we go now and and it just was a little it seemed to become a little bit of a self-parody there at the end one thought there and I, i agree i probably do like two more than three but for me i think right revolutions is bigger John Wick 3 is bigger. But the difference, I think, is that John Wick 3, and again, this is just me not liking the, the war scene, yeah. but John Wick 3 is bigger, but it's still personal, right? Because it's John Wick right. and everyone's coming at John. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas like with the war scene being inserted, 
like I just feel like if that would have been trimmed down, it would have felt different. But like, no, I totally. Because, I think the writing in John Wick Three is worlds better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, like just yeah, yeah. Because I just feel like um, you know, Revolution was like, and like Tim said, right? It, it opens up kind of back and forth, back and forth. You're following all these different plot points, and you're here, and then you're here. Train Oracle, meet right. You're back and forth, and then all of a sudden you're spending the next you know, 30, 40 minutes just watching this one war and it's very kind of impersonal and you're like, okay, but wait, aren't we going to switch back to the other things anytime soon? But no, you just stay there. So I think it was like a, uh, like personal versus impersonal. Sort yeah. of. No, I, I totally agree. That's, that's a great point. Yeah. That actually occurred to me too, Zeke, when you were talking earlier, you know, how I had said that and it, it never really clicked with me that, that, with like John Wick 3 was like that where yeah like however big and bloated it's gotten it's still focused on John Wick and mm-hmm. Matrix Revolutions is not focused on Neo the whole time mm-hmm. you know? and it's yeah so it's again you get these like I like chunks of it you know and, right. and then you know in the chunks that I don't like I'm trying well the CG is really good you know like <laughs> you try to find like excuses <laughs> to, to get you through it but right um, and like you said earlier like just wanting more Neo right and like Neo is the reason you're here and like just yeah. excited to see his journey and then then you don't see him for half an hour 40 minutes and you're like oh but where's neo at it yeah and, and that's the thing yeah i don't even mind seeing neo sad and lost like because that's part <laughs> right. of his journey but not seeing his journey at all it's like I, right yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. who hurt you and show me who hurt you <laughs> yeah show me where he touched you <laughs> i think the three felt sort of john wick three felt sort of i don't know if bloated is the word but too much pizza I guess I like they're great, so, and I, I love the action, and I could just keep watching the action for a very long time. The symptom of the condition but that is too much pizza. The thing that I loved about three, like one hinted at this world, two showed us the world. Great, the high table, the continental. They kind of butt heads a little, but they're there. Great, done. Three showed us that the world was much bigger and much less stable than we initially saw in two, much more multifaceted. It was really fascinating because everyone who has any kind of complaint or disgruntlement or grudge with the status quo saw John, you know, fight his way through the entire planet against them, you know, the legend John Wick, and now has a figure to rally behind. And it's like change is coming. Social change is coming to that crime world. And it's happening because of John Wick 3. And it's great. That was set up beautifully. But... That was half the movie. The other half was just constantly finding reasons for him to fight. Like you mentioned, Joel, about constant MacGuffin sort of thing. And that part was good. Again, the choreography is spot on. Like one in the the desert, one in this antique shop. And at the end of it, it was kind of like, I just ate three pizzas. Like, were they delicious? (laughs) Yes. Am I going to eat pizza again in the future? Sometime. But, oh, God. The third one, by the time of the third one, I was just going through the motions, you know. I, I feel your like pizza had, related metaphors are the best. I feel like you're you're like, three for three on them <laughs> and I am here for it. Thank you. <laughs> like John Wick two point five would have just been the slimmed down, you know, plant the seeds version. And that would have been okay, but like how would they have sold that? And I'm really glad they didn't decide to do like a web series or a comic thing or whatever, you know, because that always infuriates me like no please go spend more money somewhere else that takes effort to continue enjoying our film like no fuck you (laughs) make the film put it in the theater so in that sense i'm really glad they gave us three but i'm also really glad we're getting a breather for four you know i feel like i this is another symptomatic thing where it's like i 
don't need to see a global level thing. It does not need to get that big to get my attention, says the guy who's a big fan of the, the Fast and Furious franchise, but we'll, we'll just sidestep that. Okay, we'll put that in a box over here. That's always more high octane and it's fine. But like, I, I don't, for me to buy in to John Wick's universe, just, just breadcrumb me that shit. I don't need a big leap. I don't need escalation. Just a little bit more, a little bit more. You could have me sucking on the teat of that for 10 films. There's no reason to go everybody in the fucking world's after you for number three. Like, and now we're going to have Wick in space? Like, where do you go from there? It's, it's Wick in the Matrix. Like, that's, that's where it has to go. I feel like I disagree, though. I don't know, because like... Because then you end up with 10 John Wick movies where it's like, hey, there's a big bounty on your head and every assassin wants to kill you, but we're only going to, you know, just, just five for right now. Just five are going to kill you this next time. And then John Wick 4, okay, now there's 10 assassins that want to kill you on this global bounty. And then next one, okay, 20. And then you just have, you know, 10 movies. I, I like the just jump, like, this is a big world full of assassins and there's a big ass bounty on your head because you did some shit that you're wanted for we're going to just let it rip and let everything after you. And I, I agree that there are some questions about where do you go next, but I feel like just flipping that switch from two to like there, I, I, I don't know if there's any other way to do it without it turning into this gradual, like, okay, a couple more assassins now, That's a couple true. more now. Like, I, I definitely, at the end of two, I was like hyped, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it got me excited. Like, Oh shit, what's going to happen. But like sh- shove like an old, partner in there like a twin (laughs) brother like just pepper it in like just like i give me a few more like like funny because you're you're almost talking about the opposite complaint from the matrix in that not the opposite but just that with the matrix you mentioned you wanted to spend more time between the first two movies living in and experiencing the world they built like with john they're bringing us that but they're bringing it too quickly for you (laughs) you know yeah yeah (laughs) I want my three pizzas one slice at a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Must first, like Dwight. <laughs> I guess I, what you That's want, first. which is what I often want from things, is you want a TV series. Right. You want like That's a what I would have wanted TV from The series. Matrix. Was yeah. the, Mat- the Matrix I want TV that a series. lot from a lot of things. And they do the Matrix thing of, here's this really cool world we built. Oh, wow, I love it can I like stay here and explore for three years? And they go, no, we have to tell you the cataclysmic end story of this. Right. And I mean, that's fine. That's what cinema is for. The single contained beefy story. TV would be better suited to the exploration of the world. But there are a lot of things I watch that I go, I want the three season TV series. You know, I want to just spend time inching my way forward through this. Um, the really great, almost perfectly on the nose example is an anime called Sword Art Online I've talked about before. Yes, you have. Total reality video game, <laughs> die in the game, die in real life, etc. First couple episodes set Tim, up the world. Tim had that knowing look like sorry. you come, sorry. But first couple episodes set up the world really well and how the mechanics work. And then we get like episode three that's just sort of in the middle. And then episode like four through the end of the season, which there are post stuff, but they wrap it all up, is just they're fighting their way through the game. It has 100 areas. Like they're on areas 74 or 75-ish for the entire rest of the show. Like, that's it. They literally skip two years of in-game, in-world time 
to just show us the cool ending and i'm like but this is a tv show this is why we're here like <laughs> like show me how this guy became a shopkeep and the trials he uncovered show Anime me how this society different. got started down here right and it that's a problem i have a lot with a lot of things it's the problem you had with the matrix joel but you're having the opposite problem with wick what do you want joel <laughs> <laughs> I want a Keanu movie where he fights a reasonable amount of people for a reasonable amount of time. Sounds boring. <laughs> if you want the Scranton paper company ver- version yeah. of, of the movie. He wants to see Neo before wa- he left I just want to watch John Wick. He wants to see Neo in the cubicle. I just want to watch John Wick in Matrix 1 again. That's, that's basically how you shut me up. I'll just watch the ones that like gave me the thing I didn't know I wanted. That, I think I think that's another thing is like experience chasing. So much of media, especially movies, is recycled. We get a lot of the same, a lot of the same, and here comes the Matrix, this earth-shattering, crazy good thing, and then they're going to make two more. So you come in with a certain expectation. Okay, I'm going back to this world. It may not be. It might be a little bit louder, a little bit worse. And then they kind of stopped writing really, really well. That that was frustrating, and then with John Wick is just like, how cool is this? Like, really personal. You totally buy in with this this revenge tale. It's not even revenge. It's just give me my car and my dog back, you monsters. And it's really confined and small and brutal. And then you get a little bit more, and then it's the world. I I don't know. Like I I I was until I saw it, I was totally on board with three being as crazy as it was but seeing it kind of the the things about it that i didn't like that i've already said those things made me wish that they had not gone as far as fast because i was enjoying what they did with the previous one i don't want things to change i'm i'm a white man in america so I, that's exactly that's on want it brand. to grow just not at an exponential level <laughs> yeah i have a similar your Matrix complaint about the Daniel Craig Bond movies, actually. And I didn't even complain. I will hear no right? words against them. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. I love what they've done because we have the blessing of all the previous films, but we've never seen Daniel Craig just do a mission. I know, I know. Like, we've Spectre's had the closest Casino and Quantum, which are his introductions to the world and becoming a double O and all that jazz. Between Quantum and Skyfall is his whole normal career with Judy Dench M. <laughs> and then we see Skyfall. When she's gone, the whole place is blown up. They go back to Whitehall. Spoilers for all the, of these, by the way. Yeah, sorry. To Cushion Door. <laughs> they switch back into classic Cushion Door male M Bond. And then there's an entire career there. And then we get Spectre. And, and he tries to retire again. Who knows for how long. You know, it's Bond. But as much as that, like, irks me, we have all the old Bond films where we spent decades exploring Bond's normal career. And so it's okay. And choose, like, you know, I don't necessarily need this backlog. flavor of Bond's normal career, the Craig flavor. Like, it, I'd love it. I'd be glad to see it, but without, that's okay. We have something else. But for so many others, we never get that, you know? We never get the decades-long wallow in the swim in the thing, ocean. Like, I, I don't I'm, know. I started the, the podcast as the franchise guy, right? Like, the, these are the picks, and I've watched eight movies in the series to get to, to discuss the thing. So I, I like a lot of the same and then stalker. So I don't know what I, I, I don't know what the point of me bringing that up was. Just like I, I, if you do something really well, do it six more times until it gets stale and we'll get something else, I guess. I'm, it's the Disney model. I'm wanting the Disney model. So is it time, Joel? And well, wait, first of all, yeah, I just yeah. want to yes. mention, you know, we did mention like sort of, you know, what our speculation of four is. 
And, and again, I, I will fully admit that this is my expectation, not at all like uh, how the film themselves should be judged but i just have to say that if regardless of which ticket i buy if i don't go into the movie theater and it's the same movie which john wick 4 and matrix 4 are the same movie and the trailers are basically just scenes from the same movie that focus on either john wick as john wick or neo or whatever and then it's like this is how this comes together i'll be disappointed but again that's that's just me that's not a criticism that's just like i shouldn't have been expecting that in the first place at the very least I feel like there should be some Easter egg linking right. the two. Like right. either well, they're oh, in the Matrix right. watching like John Wick's on the TV. Right. Or like there's got to be some kind of connective tissue. Like, <gasps> What if in Matrix was... 4 he actually plays Keanu Reeves? Oh. And it's like Keanu Reeves who plays John Wick, but then it's like, wait, Keanu Reeves, you're the one. Oh, okay. So he's had his whole career and it's the, he's in the Matrix universe. Yeah. I like Krista's laugh in the back. Yeah. <laughs> What's so funny, babe? <laughs> um, hey, you should have a YouTube channel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but no, but I, I, didn't, I didn't get to say my biggest geek out moment when I watched John Wick 3 was when he gets to do his, like, what do you need? Guns. Lots of yeah. guns. Like, yeah. I, I audibly squeed by right. myself in my living room. I was just like, eee! Like, cause like I, it, it's, it totally brought, like came full circle. Like the, right. the Matrix trilogy and the John Willoughby, John Wick trilogy came full circle in that moment. The John Willoughby. Yeah. John, John Willoughby. You know, the John Wick wiki is just called the John Wiki. I'm not <laughs> yeah, even kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like the fact that it tied back to Matrix one, and I was just like, yeah. So like, you know, again, it could be just this cute throwaway Easter egg. But like to me, you know, again, it, it set my brain afire. Them. Like this has to connect. Like you know. for them to put them out on the same day. Yeah. Like there's got to be something, right? Zeke, what's your wild speculation? What's your theory for the connective tissue between the two? I mean, now I'm sold on the them being the same movie. I, really like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know though, but like you said, I mean, same day. I don't know. It feels like too much to be a coincidence. I don't know. Or it'd be fun if they actually are two different movies, but they start off from the perspective of the two characters, but then the rest of the film is like all of the same scenes that they film with two cameras, like dual screen. So like you're seeing this camera is over John Wick's shoulder and you're looking at Neo. This the camera is over Neo's shoulder. So it's like basically the same story, like once they join, but from two different perspectives. That, I would also accept that. I always, I <laughs> thought it would be funny, like the, those old uh, comic books where you'd read mm -hmm. half of it and then it would be upside down. So you have oh, to yeah. read it from the, mm -hmm. so it's like they start at the end of the other movie. So if you go into John Wick, it's the end of the Matrix. Right. And then it realizes itself at, in the John Wick story. And then you see the other one, it goes the other way. Like it's a choose your own yeah. adventure. Like a, a So yeah, so John Wick 4 will end with the beginning of the Matrix. And <laughs> Matrix 4 will end with the beginning of John Wick of right. his like, wife dying of cancer. But then you know, the other one will start with Morpheus being like, you're going to find the one. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah so it's just a big circle. What it's going to be is they're both going to be uh, something's got to give two, and it's just Keanu Reeves dating Diane Keaton. And we get more of that treasure. 
<laughs> there's a happy really ending no matter how you slice it <laughs> that's all i want more more of that or like i said either way he's going to be writing letters to sandra bullock somehow like whether it's seo <laughs> or john wick you know sandra bullock's got to come into this and then and then they get on a bus together so that's how it ends is they get on a bus and drive off into the sunset that would be like Beautiful. the most meta of all meta things and i feel like keanu's the dude to do it around right like yeah. if it's if it's just the multiverse of keanu mm-hmm. like I mean, it's like being John Malkovich, but you know, where they're just like, oh, Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. And it's just like, <laughs> but yeah, Sandra Bullock has to come into this somehow. That, you know, she has to kind of be like the, the, the other link that brings that together. <laughs> you get an onset photo with her there. It's like confirmed yeah. <laughs> indication. Yeah. One of the little things I'm happy about too, is I think uh, Neil Patrick Harris is supposed to be in Matrix 4 too. I think I saw his name on one of the list of, of you know, like the like who's been confirmed. So, so will it be a Starship it. Troopers? Right, yeah. Thing? Or Doogie Howser. Either one would be fun. Yeah. From the list of people who the, who the world forgot could act seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, I mean, I'm, you know, and, and again, like, I'm sure I'm going to go there and they're two different movies and they're just completely unrelated. And, you know, and it's just like, but, yeah, you know, I'll still enjoy both of them. I'm still. What if, what if there's like. What if all we get is like a, a post-credits teaser where it's like, it, it, if they do like the Ferris Bueller, like it's him dressed as Neo at the end of John Wick. Like, why are you still here? It's over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, want, I want the Captain America pulls up the chair. So you were expecting this feeling. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> they, could, they could mash it all together. It could start with Ferris Bueller. Oh, you're still here. And then like, whips like quick change costume whips off the robe has a captain america outfit sits down so you were expecting this to be a matrix reference like stands back up whips around becomes smith from revolution saying this is the end right <laughs> jumps around into something and just work their way through a bunch of his films i'd love it to be like it's like pov and you're walking towards and you can see either neo or john wick and he turns around and he goes whoa and then the camera whips around and it's the other one and he goes whoa and then done <laughs> if it's just if it's that tiny i will be happy <laughs> whoa whoa the whoa averse <laughs> well, actually and actually well that's another part too is that you know lawrence fishburne is in both so there there is a well although he's mm-hmm. actually he's not going to be in matrix 4 i don't think which is one of the weird things because like he survived, but Carrie Ann Moss is going to be in Matrix 4, and she didn't survive. Have they confirmed so anyone other than Trinity and Neo so far? I think that the only one I saw, yeah, I think I saw Neil Patrick Harris in one of the articles I read. Um, I mean, anyone from a previous film, sorry. Oh, uh, I feel like there was one other person that was kind of like semi-random. I can't remember. I could, I could look at a DVD. One of the working theories I've seen was that, like, because they both died in the machine city or died i guess in the machine city yeah they could have been preserved somehow digitally or physically or built new bodies or etc oh, right. and that, that can explain their return either at the same age or an older age or whatever yeah but that our other characters might not be around because who knows how long how much time has passed oh i gotcha okay yeah. i will say one thing that would break matrix four for me if if it is a time travel related story but it does not involve bill and ted i'm out i'm like i will stand up and walk out like if you're gonna time travel in this universe i i I just like with with the writing of these last two films if the fourth one is like 
time travel, I'm going to be like, I, I can't. I can't with this shit. That's all I was going to say. <laughs> Apparently, they've confirmed the Merovingian, Lambert Wilson, and Jada Pinkett Smith as Niobe again. Oh, nice. She'll be According, happy to I'm be out of the house. Wikipedia, by the way, I don't know where that comes from. New place to get entangled. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> All right, on that note, let's do my favorite segment, and we'll put it right here. It is, it is time for another situational movie <laughs> recommendation. So I thought a, a good situational recommendation would be films that you end continuity at. So it, it could be a series of films but this is the one that like you really liked and afterwards you didn't really like. So that's where you end the cut, like your head cannon ends with that film. Um, maybe I'm the only person who does that because I'm a fuck boy and a fanboy, and I need to stop. <laughs> but um, I, 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 I brought it up because Matrix 1 is kind of one in my head. I really like the end of that film. I like li- thinking about the world continuing after that film without any of the other stuff that came in which Animatrix did a really good job of like filling in some of those spots that I, I really liked that kind of continuation. So maybe Animatrix would be more accurate for that. Um, but the, the, the big one that comes to mind for me is Last Jedi. I, I'm, I'm done after Last Jedi. And that's, that's where I'm at. I don't want this to be a whole big thing. We'll have another discussion end of the day. <laughs> but I just loved... And we've already, I mean, Tim Scott and I have argued about this already, about how it feels like an ending to some of us, the right ones, and then the re- <laughs> it doesn't to Scott, <laughs> who has a more active imagination than we do. <laughs> but I, I just, at the end, I was so satisfied in a way with where the, the franchise could go from there. And then it didn't go where I wanted it to or was in, interested in it going with the last one. So Last Jedi is is this pick for me. Uh, I've got one and Joel will uh, back me up on this one. And it is, um, you know, the, the Die Hard series ends after Live Free or Die Hard. There is no fifth Die Hard movie. You're goddamn uh, right. Is that the one with Justin four. Long? He's in four. We like four. Okay. Is five one with his son? Or Five's Mother Russia. Yippee Kaye, Mother no. Russia. Oh, Don't. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm piggybacking. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, I knew you'd appreciate it too. Um, yeah, that's the one that jumps out to me right now. I'm going to dig around see if I can think of more, but that's just one that I don't want anything to do with five ever again. <laughs> Little origin story on this: Zeke and I both won separately. Day passes to Harkins Theater t- to watch a uh, a marathon of all the Die Hard movies leading up to the release of the fifth one, mm-hmm. and. We both took off school to go do it, mm-hmm. and it was glorious because we got out of <laughs> Die Hard 1. It was like, God, Die Hard 1 is really good. We got out of Die Hard 2. Like, People don't like 2 as much as 1, but it's a good movie. We got out of 3, like super hyped. 4, super hyped. 5, mm-hmm. what the fuck was that? <laughs> so, oh, that was a terrible end it, of the night. <laughs> yeah. It was a great day other than yeah, that. For like, sure. Uh, and we were we were mad on the way home like we were mm-hmm. we were talking mad shit <laughs> ruined the whole yeah I, I i feel like one of the um i maybe obvious is not the right word but for me the obvious one is uh you know superman 2 
Um, yeah. You really don't need three or four. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of like how <laughs> Brian Singer's whole idea of with Superman Returns was supposed right. to be part three of that. So like, I like that idea if you want to go back to it and have that be part three. Um, and I guess maybe that's why I said obvious is that, you know, right. there was an actual filmmaker who made a film pretending that three and four didn't exist. Um, well, probably another one. one. Yeah. Um, I, I, another one too would probably be like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Like I, I and, and again, like I don't hate three. There are pieces of it right. that I can pluck out that I like. Um, but if it had never existed, I would miss it. I mean, maybe I would miss it if I would imagine what it could have been. Right. Um, we still imagine what it could have been. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and I, you know, I have my thoughts about what, you know, what could have been done to fix it without making it completely different. Like, I feel like they were on the right track with certain things, but you know, again, it kind of fell into that trap of we need more villains and more villains. And this one had one villain. This one had two villains. We need five billion. It's just like, <laughs> you know, like we, we, we didn't need the fucking Sandman. Like he was just dead weight, you know, uh, you know pardon the pun, I guess, you know, but um <laughs> And, you know, I saw. You know, I I loved the Harry Osborn Green Goblin part of that. I, I loved that they brought Venom in, and I loved parts of it, but I didn't love all of what they did with Venom. Um, Topher Grace, where where was that decision? Who was in that casting call? <laughs> yeah, I, and again, that's I don't one of dislike I Topher. Like, yeah, I, I didn't really love, just, but I didn't hate it. But right. you know, yeah. But I mean, I feel like two was just so damn good. Yeah. You know, and like. So yeah, like if, if after that was when they said, hey, we're going to, Marvel's going to come in and have their own movie studio and reboot everything. So that's all the Spider-Mans you're getting with Tobey Maguire, but we're going to, you know, I would have been fine with that. Um, but, but yeah, like, yeah, I think if it had ended with two, I would be happy. Again, I don't hate three the way most people do, but uh, I don't love it. <laughs> I'll second that choice. <laughs> in keeping with my theme of, giving multiple answers to everything <laughs> i i guess i'm all on the fence i'm i'm in agreement about last jedi a bit i need to re-watch the last one again a few more times and digest it more but i didn't really like it and the last jedi might be my favorite star wars movie so i guess i'm in there with you welcome the, to the club <laughs> The Indiana Jones fourth film. Oh, oh God, yeah. Why didn't I think of that? I've only seen once. Yeah. You didn't Fact. think because you forget. I, no it, joke. Yeah. I bought the box set of that and opened it up. my favorite reoccurring story on the podcast. Five discs. <laughs> and I was like, did I get extra special? For, oh, fourth film. Yeah. I only saw it once ever in the theater. And I came out not going, oh, God, they tarnished the, the series. Oh, I'm going to throw up. But I also just I came out kind of going, all right. I've spent worse time in a movie theater, but that felt unnecessary. Yeah. Was, yeah. I never scared the film before again. Is my question. Who was right. that for? So I right. guess yeah. I Why? need to see it again and more because I only saw it the once. But Seek's I, like, no. considering no, that I don't. constantly <laughs> forget it exists, I guess that's the real, you know, the big one. Um, Apparently it, it hits better if you played like the video games. Apparently like aliens being a thing in the Indiana Jones verse was something some big of into the video games. I, I don't I, remember that. And that anyway. that movie has a lot more wrong with it than the fact that aliens. Yeah. Like, um, alien, maybe. I. Oh, you don't like aliens? I do. I mean, it's fine, but it doesn't. But you like the continuity of uh, that? Doesn't okay. relate to Alien at all. It didn't have to be an Alien movie. It could That's have just been another space movie. <laughs> but then, on the other hand, there are little pieces of Alien Three that are really nice and I would hope to keep. So I don't, I don't know what I would do with the continuity <laughs> there, but shrug, but the real one, the big one, the Bourne series. 
born identity, born, supre born supremacy, born ultimatum, born legacy. Right. Good, although admittedly Renner. no one appreciated it at the time, me right. included. I'll fess up. I, I liked appreciate it, it for what time, it was until I had cool. hindsight. And that's it. There's no fifth born movie. I just... I, I couldn't fault. bring myself to watch it. Like I, I, It's our own fault because the fourth film came out and it really nicely did some more broader world building and expanded things and laid the groundwork. Again, I didn't appreciate it at the time. It took me a couple of years. But we all hated it and went, why didn't you just do what you did before? So finally, after a few years, they came back and said, all right, you know what? Fine, screw you. You want our greatest hits from the first three films? Here you go. And that's what it is. It's the same fights and the same setups and the same, same. Some of it is like almost shot for shot, but just in a different location and a different character on the vehicle, you know? It, and it was awful and boring and bad. And I just found myself going, God, how did this get made? <laughs> like, like, seriously, despite the <laughs> that's craving a different for another podcast. Born movie, <laughs> how did this happen? And I, oh, God help me. It, 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 it ignored four and did a greatest hits from one through three. And like I said, we asked for that at the, when four came out. We were like, how dare you? But we were wrong. And I guess the one, those of us who liked four originally, Joel, and the people like me who looked back and went, oh my God, I was so stupid. Like, I guess we weren't loud enough to drown out the other voices. So, so yeah. I, I have a not real answer, but like <laughs> post-Infinity War, like I love how Endgame resolved. It, it, those two films are incredible. But just the way I felt coming out of the theater after Infinity War, as like those son of a bitches, those cocky sons of bitches actually did it. They killed half the Marvel Universe and we have to sit in it until the next movie. It was just, I, I, I it just chef's kiss that motherfucker. Like that, that was such a great potential to sit in for such a while. Like, with, we wouldn't have gotten... I guess Captain Marvel came af afterwards, and then the, the second Spider-Man came. Like, I like those films, too. Like, like it's, it's a false answer. But, like, I just really liked how it felt to think about the, the Marvel Universe being so bereft after that choice. And the fact that they ended it on that was so pure so perfect i have another non-answer yeah. <laughs> that kind of like but worked out in the good way so right growing up with toy story and then toy story 2 and then 3 was coming out and i was like don't i don't want 3 right like, we're good don't do that mm -hmm. and then i went to the theater and and wept and wept for hours and loved it and it was beautiful and very happy with 3 favorite and then 4 and I was like, don't do four. You just ended it on a perfect <laughs> you, note. You played with Please fire don't. once. Don't right. do yeah. Let's not do this thing again. And then four is actually really solid. I like four a lot. Um, I agree. So that's one where I was like, this needs to be the end of the, the series of the franchise. And then they said, no, here's another one. And I said, okay, well, that one's the end though. And then they did it again. And it you, was great both times. You were so my gauge for that too. Cause mm. you, you, you were like, who, what's this fork about? I'm not, I'm not feeling <laughs> yeah. the fork. And then you right. came out the theater is like, I will, I will die for fork. fork. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was what, what reshaped it in my mind. Cause, and that's the thing, like people forget how good a sequel toy story two is. Mm -hmm. That movie is, is impeccable. And for them to double down with three and be really emotional and that franchise grows up as we grow up and then to right. do it again with four, I, 
that hmm. was incredible. It's, right. I think it works so well because four isn't an ending. It's a beginning. Right. And it's a nice, mm-hmm. short, sweet beginning that they just left alone, you know? Yeah. And I think just the gap between two and three had me concerned, right? Because like 1999 to then I'm in college. Right. I was like, oh man, like you're digging that up from way back then. But then it hit so perfectly because we grew up with Andy and then, yeah. So good job. But then Pixar. the inverse, the length of time between three and four would me for <laughs> right. the opposite reason. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> so they're cashing in on this. So I don't know yeah. about that. They're, we're getting into cars territory here. Let's not... <laughs> But I have another, I have another yeah. answer. Yes. Batman Returns should have ended there. <laughs> he's, gone. he's gone. He's coming for you. <laughs> Good luck recording with no goddamn equipment, motherfucker. But it did end there, and then we got a new continuity for two films. <laughs> right? And then everything's fine. <laughs> oh, man. That was, that was so perfect. Oh, man. <laughs> Apparently, there's a uh, what is it, a hundred seventy minute cut of that film <laughs> oh. that exists. I want it. Fuck the Snyder cut. That's the one I want. <laughs> yeah. Of Batman Forever. For those of you who don't oh, know, gotcha. the shared continuity of 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 me loving that film and Tim hating it. You might be disappointed by my next pick, buddy boy. <laughs> well, see, and that's the thing is, like, I don't, I don't necessarily like. Hate it, hate it. No, it's, it's just I, I'm confused by it. I no, will, I will, I will it, lay there, out there. There's, there's it's some just holes. Like, there's yeah. for sure. Uh, like there's half of that film doesn't. It, it's not yeah. in. Yeah. And, and I also feel like I, I remember reading too somewhere that like that wasn't Joel Schumacher's decision. Right. Like people told, like the producers told him after the two Daniel, I mean the two Tim Burton versions, they were too Danny dark. Elfman. We want. That's yeah, fair. Yeah, right. that's, that's how fair. I think of it. Yeah. The two right. Danny Elfman versions is fair. <laughs> right. Yeah. The two, you know, Tim Burton, Danny Elfman, Michael Keaton, you know, that whole, that whole trilogy. Um, but yeah, that it was like, that was how he was told to do it. So it's like, okay, Joel Schumacher himself shouldn't get the hate for that, you know. Especially now that he's posthumous. Let's, let's not speak ill yeah. of a, of a, the dead who's also a Joel. Let's, let's. Right. <laughs> well, you know, and, but again, that's what I was saying is like, Joel's to be society. fair, it wasn't something that he said, I have a great right. idea for this. It was right. like. You know, people complain this was too dark. You got to add color, and it's like, okay, I guess. You know, um, which, which is fair. You know. Like the connective tissue between returns and that is Alfred and the Batmobile. Gordon. Well, the Batmobile. <laughs> no, they got a cool little like re re redesign for the Batmobile, but yeah. no, that's fine. That's 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 a perfectly acceptable answer for my former podcast mates. <laughs> yeah, I, I, sat, I sat here perfectly quiet while you tore revolutions apart. <laughs> Completely well, fair. Well, hinting as, <laughs> as you were at future picks, uh, next month, Zeke is our movie selector. Mm-hmm. Zeke, have you decided what you'll be bringing us? I have, yeah. Um, so... I don't know, dug through the list. Um, one of the criteria I really wanted to bring a Denzel Washington movie. Um, and then lately I've really been wanting to bring a Spike Lee movie too. So luckily there are four Denzel and Spike Lee movies <laughs> to choose from. How convenient. Um, so, and then also playing, I don't know if we're going to be back in person or if we're still going to do the, the, the distance thing. But just to be safe, right, looking at a, some streaming options, um, <laughs> decided we're going on a heist and we're going to do Inside Man. Ooh, so, sweet! Has, has everyone seen that one? Or no. no. Okay, great. That works out well. Um, yeah, so heist movie uh, with some twists. Um, Spike Lee directed it, but didn't write it. 
Okay. So it's not a, a full Spike Lee movie, but um, you know his fingerprints are on it for sure. And and we get a Denzel movie, so I'm excited. Sweet. Looking forward to that. Yeah, I have no context, so that'll be Denzel High Spike. Let's yep. do it. He's <laughs> got an outstanding cast too. Jodie Foster's in it. Christopher Plummer, William oh, wow. Dafoe. Um, really good cast. So shit, awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, that's. I'm really interested. Actually, I've only seen a couple of Spike Lee films, so this is going to be really neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I had mentioned he got game last time, right? Mm-hmm. Right. With, that's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to give you a break from the sports there. <laughs> Will this be your first non-sport? Well, no, no, because your very first pick when you were a guest of the podcast mm-hmm. was not sports related. Bad, bad times. times at the El Royale, yeah. yeah. And then, Nominal. yeah, bad times, then it was my second one. Yeah. Rocky was Rocky. Rocky, Rocky, yeah. Rocky, Rocky and then Hoop Dreams. Yeah. Well, brilliant. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. I can tell from your faces that our listeners can't see that, that Joel and Tim yeah. are as well. <laughs> and then Tim... Really, seriously thank you for bringing us no on this, this was this i was mm-hmm. so glad that we finally yeah. got to have this conversation I'm, and I'm i got to watch them all and not just on my own but to have same. a guide and a friend with me every step of the way yeah and it, it's always fun for me too to revisit them and to kind of see what other people catch like you know good or bad like i said that's why like i wasn't expecting everyone to love it it's like you better love it you know or there's gonna be a fight it's like you know like there's they're you know, I, I dig, dug through them so much to find all these details. So I like to see like, if, you know, if people catch the same things I catch or if they like appreciate the little things, or like I said, I, I had a realization today that I'd never had before. So that was also, you know, an interesting, fun thing for me that I'm still finding things to appreciate about them. So I definitely come into the recording session, not, I was never going to watch three again, but after this discussion, I'm definitely going to see it again. I'm going to watch oh, nice. two, and then I'm going to watch Animatrix three, and then that's yeah. that's the way. Like, I can yeah. I can watch those as a tr- uh, a quadrilogy yeah. now. Well, I think like with with the Animatrix, like the like at least Final Flight of the Osiris, that you should probably watch before and Kid Story right. before uh, Reloaded because they lead into that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, I think the Renaissance <laughs> ones, especially, like, will yeah. like inform three really well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that that was. I'm I'm glad to have gone on this journey with you. <laughs> so. Good, I'm glad that something came out of it. <laughs> yeah, as am I, and, and I'm glad to to periodically go on any film journey with all four of you. Yeah. Thank you all for joining me again, and thank you, listeners, for joining us. Until next month. Um, Keep watching movies. Bye. 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 Did you know Movie Mumble has its very own Twitter account? Please follow us on Twitter at MovieMumbleNTG and tweet at us with questions, reviews, or recommendations of things you'd like us to watch next.